1: I came up for you. 73rd episode of Rank and Review. There's been a lot of talk in these last few months about superheroes scrapping each other. Just recently in the theaters, we've had Iron Man and Captain America going at it, as well as Batman and Superman having a round. So, for this special episode of Rank and Review, we're going to look at Spider Man vs. Batman. That's the three films by Sam Raimi on Spider Man and the three films from Christopher Nolan on The Dark Knight. Two trilogies, two superheroes, and they're going to fight it out. As usual, you can expect spoilers for the films discussed as well as coarse language. I do hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you have feedback to give me. You can do that by writing me at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Also, please seek out the show on Facebook and on iTunes, and tell that other person in your life who loves films that there's this awesome podcast that's been waiting for them. I hope you enjoy this edition of Rankin Review. So uh, we're about to record the 73rd episode of Rank and Review, and I have in my filthy garage Eric Jergens. Jergens, I said it right. Cool. You did. Um, I don't know you super well. I've met you a, a couple, three times, but I know that you're super into movies. Uh, I know that you know you know what you're talking about. You've worked a little bit with film, and so so have I. So we're not just entirely pulling shit out of our ass, but uh, we we're at a reading together like almost a year ago you said and we somehow got into this debate right now in nerddom everybody's obsessed with of course batman versus superman that's not what we're here to talk about i haven't even seen that movie yet today we're going to talk about the three sam raimi spider-man movies and the three christopher nolan dark knight movies it's batman versus spider-man and uh, I think I was talking a little bit of trash at the table when we were sitting there. I was being a little bit hard on some of the Nolan Batmans, uh, more so than I may meant to, because I may have come off like I'm not a fan. And I am a fan of the, the Nolan Batman universe. But what I was hoping to do with this episode is sort of do use this as sort of a launch pad to compare how DC approaches things to how Marvel approaches things as far as the film adaptations and the pluses and minuses of both of these. And uh, you're, you're a little bit younger than I am. You're a younger whippersnapper. By like two or three years. <laughs> so I, I know that that's fine. We get a, a younger perspective on these things. So um, I have a controversial position on some of these movies, so I don't suspect that we're going to agree throughout. But uh, where do you stand, brother? Uh, Batman and Spider-Man. <laughs> um. Well, I feel like in a fight, Spider-Man would
0: probably win. Yeah. Um. I Inherently, honestly, like... <laughs> Batman is my favorite superhero. He just has the best blend of uh, interestingness, I guess. The, um, the thing that really always struck me about Batman, especially getting more familiar with Marvel as they've just kind of steamrolled the movie industry, is Batman feels like he fits more in with the Marvel movies than actually the DC movies. Yeah. And you were talking about how like Marvel handles things versus how uh, DC has been handling things. I feel like, especially recently, with all the movies that you haven't watched, um, it seems like DC specifically, in an attempt to obviously recreate the massive amount of success that the Nolan movies have had, and in also uh, a, a, a response to, you know, Marvel raking in all the money, I feel like they've uh, been kind of taking their lead, like, not necessarily just from the comic books, but how uh, Nolan formatted his uh, Batman movies, for better or for worse, and mm-hmm. I feel like Especially with Batman Begins, uh, the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy is. Um, they are Nolan movies more than they're DC movies. And DC, uh, like, I don't know, it's kind of like the, uh, uh, the a chicken or the egg situation. Because I'm sure Batman also appealed to Nolan for being the kind of more dark serious yeah. character. And so, uh, what's following what is, you know, up in the air. But it seems to me like recently. Your thing is
1: that the DC movies are a little bit more self-serious. There was the famous thing when they first started doing the DC universe. They were like, no jokes. We're (laughs) we're playing this real. They did definitely tear a page out of the Nolan Batman, right? They just wanted to essentially franchise that world. They don't have Nolan anymore. They're not Christian Bale anymore. So they're reinventing Batman. But Batman is is their... Wild card. But the- Batman is what DC really has. The people will come to Batman. Can they build a universe the way Marvel has? And the problem is they're trying to play catch-up. Marvel's several movies and like a good decade ahead of them. And they want their Avengers. And in a way, I think they're trying to get to their Avengers too soon. I think the reason the Avengers worked is that we had six movies leading up to the Avengers, right? Right. So, um, but generally speaking, yes. I think that whereas I could say Marvel might be accused of not taking themselves seriously enough, being a little more jokey, not letting death count in the Marvel Universe. How many times have people died in the Marvel Universe, but not really? I mean, every time? Like, pretty much, <laughs> right? And whereas DC is the other end, you know? No jokes, dead serious. Yeah. And when you're dealing with something as fun and enjoyable, but let's be fair, kind of ridiculous, as you know people dressing in costumes and fighting crime let's say entertaining yeah yeah but but yeah it is entertaining and i've uh, I've loved comics since i was a kid i'm definitely a fan we're here to talk about superhero movies but there is something silly about them right Mm -hmm. and if you ask us to take it seriously if you move a little bit to the left or right it becomes not what was intended (laughs) and that's the dangerous type of that you walk when you're playing in the nolan universe and that's why the controversial thing that I will argue that as much as it is hated Spider-Man 3 is maybe not a worse movie than The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> well,
0: I mean the ranking comes at the very end
1: of the episode, we'll but I will say
0: that you started this uh you started this off by kind of yeah, like you said throwing down and saying uh you know, Spider-Man 3 gets a bad rap. And I was like, no, that's ridiculous. That's not how I remember it at all.
1: And having rewatched them, I think Spider-Man 3 maybe gets a little bit of a bad rap. I'm not going to say it's a great movie, and I'm not going to say that there aren't problems, but I'm going to say that Spider-Man 3 knows that it's silly in a way that The Dark Knight Rises does not. And I think that that lack of perspective really makes it sort of shrill when it doesn't work in the Nolan universe like when something doesn't work in the Nolan universe it really really lands hard right I I would agree with that yes (laughs) so but is there anything you want to talk about to the peoples on the internet
0: well I mean I guess uh me and my business partner Gray did just I mean not just it was at the beginning of the year this year's going by too quickly we did release a uh, uh 2015 uh year in review video on YouTube that I can throw out there Okay, I think uh, it's like just Gray and Eric's E R I C H 2015 video review.
1: If you search that into YouTube, you'll find us. It's like, like be able to put a face to the voice. Yeah, excellent. The three movies, or the, the three movies, the six movies that we're going to be discussing this episode are, as we discussed, Sam Raimi's Spider Man, Spider Man Two, and Spider Man Three, and Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Let's do it.
2: Not everyone is meant to make a difference, but for me, the choice to live an ordinary life is no longer an option.
1: so spider-man one of the first things i want to say about spider-man is that i think sam raimi was an inspired choice for a director for this you know (laughs) the first really huge marvel blockbuster this was before marvel studios was marvel studios spider-man is still sort of owned and sort of sectioned out to other portions of hollywood but still spider-man's one of the biggest marvel titles if not the and Sam Raimi, a person who can make kinetic action but make it clear and make it fun, and who was genuinely a fan of Spider-Man. He had painted a picture of Spider-Man in the wall of his bedroom when he grew up. He, he loves the Spider-Man. And I think that you can tell. Uh, it's a weird time that we're talking about in 2002, the production being in 2000 and 2001. CG had, computer graphics had basically taken over Hollywood, and uh, it was at the point where it was really good but not quite amazing yet. <laughs> yeah, like you weren't you were dazzled by the visuals but not entirely fooled by it.
0: It's like when every every time in every episode when Mythbusters has the biggest explosion yet and yeah. you, you feel like oh this is the biggest explosion I've seen on the Mythbusters mm-hmm. and then you look back several seasons later and you're like that ah, one wasn't so big. No. You're like I can't believe these visual effects are happening and but it only takes a few years for them to feel outdated.
1: Even in movies I love that come around this time, the, the Lord of the Rings movies, mm-hmm. um, some of the huge, huge crowd shots of, like, the, over the battlefield, I realized I'm watching a cartoon at that time. And mm-hmm. I momentarily, I still love the movies, but I momentarily shifted out of it. And I think that we weren't quite there yet with the web slinging Spider Man. It looks pretty good, it doesn't look amazing. It also
0: really <clears throat> contrasts every scene. Uh, like, there, there'll be. It, it, Jurassic Park did it very well with, and that was like four years earlier than that. With the, I feel like Jurassic Park is an example of blending things a lot better. Yeah. There's like maybe one scene in Jurassic Park where you're like, oh, those are all digital dinosaurs, and other than that, it kind of mixes it. Whereas in Spider-Man, I feel like there was a little bit of, there's digital Spider-Man swinging, and then the guy in the suit like jumped from three
1: feet and they just cut from that. Yeah. And one of the things they have a really hard time doing still to this day is photoreal people. Mm. and sam raimi's ambitious filmmaker he tries it in each of the three spider-man movies to varying degrees of success but i am never fooled i'm never fooled i'm not necessarily like oh that takes me out of it but i'm not fooled this came out in 2002 and 9-11 is still very hot on people's minds why do i bring this up because spider-man is a very new york story and because I get the feeling that there was stuff around the production that had to be changed. Did you ever see the original trailer for Spider-Man?
0: I did not see the original trailer, no. I mean, I did. I don't remember what you're referring
1: to, though. There was a sequence where you didn't really see Spider-Man, but you could tell there was some people doing bad business with a helicopter, and they are making their getaway, and all of a sudden they get stopped. And they're in a web, and they pan out, and Spider-Man has webbed this helicopter. Between the Two Towers. Oh, man. Pride Center. I take it back.
0: I hadn't seen that. I was right the first time.
1: Right. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, they could not see into the future, and obviously, when, when September 11th happened, that was pulled. I don't even know if you can find that shit on YouTube right now.
0: I do know that they did remove,
1: digitally, the Two Towers from a lot of scenes. A lot of shots. And there's this very problematic scene, and I think at the time, it was all, like, we love you, Nor- New York, and Unite. But towards the very silly climax of the movie, and we will get to the plot. I'm sorry, to, I'm circling around the movie, and then we can actually get into it. There's a sequence where all the New Yorkers unite to help Spider-Man fight the Green Goblin, and maybe in 2002 that was like something that the people needed as a salve to help heal America. But watching it in 2016, it seems super cheesy. Well, we'll get to you know
0: Spider-Man Two when it comes. But I feel like even you know the the Sam Raimi. I think caught on to that really quickly. It goes
1: to the next level. Basically, we have here the origin story of Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire is an unbelievably dorky, pathetic, even, high school, relatable high school kid who is bitten by a radioactive spider and gets superpowers. And uh, he, his life is complicated by his the girl he loves, Mary Jane, and his best friend, uh, Harry, whose dad is played by William De- Willem Dafoe, will be our major villain, the Green Goblin. What do you think of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man? I think... Well, you said off the bat that like it was a real inspired
0: choice to have Sam Raimi direct this. Um, it reminds me almost... like Looking back at it, knowing what I know of his career, it reminds me of, actually, more recently, J.J. Uh, Abrams being selected for Star Wars. Where, like, when J.J. Abrams made uh, Star Trek, he was clearly trying to make a Star Wars movie. And yeah. with this, um, the thing that I uh, most associate it with is an earlier... Like, almost ten years earlier, I think. Movie of Sam Raimi's uh, Dark Man. Absolutely, um, it's a very similar movie. So yeah, you can you can see the enthusiasm in the movie. Um, I I don't mind this movie overall. I don't think it's aged particularly well, um, and not just in terms of uh, visual effects, because you, you're going to have to accept that one way or another when you're going back any ex- uh, extent of time. But I feel like just the way movies are made now, both on the Marvel side and on the DC side, um, there's a lot more focus on, I guess, I call it natural character interactions. Whereas I think this movie clearly the the intent was on having cool moments, not not to its detriment. The movie is one moment uh, to the next, yeah. Uh, like, and it's actually one of my uh, things I noted is this movie's paced very well. It moves. Um, it moves really good. Cool. Like. It, I've seen Spider-Man, uh, the origin story, a handful of times in, you know, audio mediums, but this time, like, I, I rewatching it, I expected it to drag on, because, like, I know that Uncle Ben, you know, yeah. gets shot, I know he gets bit by the spider, I know he flirts with Mary Jane, but, like, within the first 15 minutes, Spider-Man, the Uncle Ben stuff, and Green Goblin are all established and ready to go, like, yeah. really quick.
1: Yeah, and they are spoon-feeding a lot of exposition, but in a fairly entertaining and, and moving-forward way. I know some people are split on Toby Maguire. I I think that he's an interesting cast member in that like, I believe him almost more as the dorky teenager than I do as the superhero. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a problem, but it's true. I think that Peter Parker's main thing is that well, and maybe the real appeal of the book is that he's a teenager. You know, he doesn't have shit figured out yet, and he is given this awesome gift and doesn't quite know how to do with it. It, it what to do with it. it? It's hard not to see a puberty analogy in this, right? <laughs> um, you know, all of a sudden he wakes up one day and he's and he's ripped. ripped. He's ripped and he's more powerful than he was. And you know, and what are <laughs> even our glasses goo is shooting out of place <laughs> Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and We're still has, talking about Spider-Man, and, right? and he has to adjust to this new world. Yeah. Um, so there are interesting themes to explore, and if obviously not that implicitly, but uh, <laughs> it works well. I think that Sam Raimi was embracing the comic book aesthetic in a way that, well, when we get talk about the Nolan movies, Nolan doesn't. Right. Whereas Spider-Man, and this is true to the books, likes to make jokes and quips when he's having his little fights. And when he's fighting the Green Goblin, Goblin quips back. And it would seem really unnatural, and it does, watching it in a movie in a way. But if you read those lines in the panel of a comic book, it would seem completely out of a place. But I do have a problem with Willem Dafoe. And it, it pains me to say that because I, genuinely speaking, like Willem Dafoe. But in a comic book movie, he comes close to overdoing it for me. And I really hate the design of of the goblin <laughs> i really don't like that it's this like military suit that's made to look like this intimidating goblin creature in a way just be real make him a goblin and it has this uh power rangers effect when we get to the final battle between spider-man and, and the goblin where we don't see any fe- features on either character while they're having these conversations with each other well the Green Goblin is trying to convince Spider-Man that he should join the Green Goblin and they can rule the city and Spider-Man's saying no I want to be a true hero we're getting no performances we're just here it's a radio play and it, it takes me out of it I think it was a mistake doing that.
0: It's interesting, this is actually the first time I've seen it in high definition, because I didn't see the original Spider-Man in theaters, and then I watched it on VHS. Yeah. Um, so seeing it with like a, a nice plasma TV in HD, for the first time I noticed that you can actually see Willem Dafoe's mouth moving behind the mask in certain scenes. In certain and moments. I feel like you could they could have doubled down on that, like almost had a Batman type thing, where just cut out the like sneer on the bottom of the face and paint his mouth green. Like it would look ridiculous, but I think it would maybe give something to it.
1: I invite everybody to take a look at a Willem Dafoe performance in a movie called Shadow of the Vampire where they make him look like Nosferatu and he plays this character Max Shrek and he's completely creepy and like monstrous. If they put some fucking goblin makeup, if when he got the serum put into him, he actually wolfed out a little bit, You have Willem Dafoe, fucking use him, right? Yeah, (laughs) and it feels
0: like, I feel like maybe at the time they thought, no, we have to keep this a little bit more serious, a little bit more toned down, because this was the, like, I believe X-Men had come out at this point, but Spider-Man felt like this was definitely the first huge swing for the mass audience whereas in retrospect you're right they could have doubled down uh in the other direction and just had him had him have him turn green have his hair go spiky it's not as ridiculous as any other part of this movie
1: exactly i think that part of it might have just been because it would be easier from a special effects standpoint to have him in that suit with the sort of permanent face when you're doing all the goblin and his glider going through the city between that and spider-man it makes your effects guys jobs a lot easier if you don't have to like digitize a human face on these things so but those decisions aren't made for art you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i think the movie is fun i think you're right that the movie maybe is starting to show its age but i think it might be sort of suggestive of how quickly movies are starting to show their age Another thing I noticed is, like, I'm
0: almost 100% certain, that as filmmaker geeks, I'm pretty certain that this was shot on film. And yeah. it's also edited like a movie that's shot on film. Well, we were talking about the quick editing before, but that's, that's another part of it, where it, it this movie exists in a transitionary period in the film industry. And for better or worse, that it shows that.
1: Yeah. Uh and it does have a pretty classic moment. I got to say uh the Spider-Man hanging upside down for the Mary Jane kiss is 100%
0: right? the best part of the movie, right?
1: I mean uh Kirsten Dunst is super attractive in the movie, but I mean I'm not I'm not the romantic comedy guy, but the only thing I can compare it to as far as memorable romance scenes is the scene in Ghost with Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <and Kevin laughs> So uh, I mean, uh, for better or for worse, they accomplished something with that. It was it was a good moment. And usually, the romance angle is when the boys fold their arms, are like, "Come on, get on with it." She's gonna need to get rescued. We get it. <laughs> right? And, and
0: it, it's a really cool scene because on top of being romantic, on top of being unique, mm-hmm. um, it's also tense because she like reaches for his mask. He tenses up a little bit. You and like I. Even watching it recently, I was like, "Oh, geez!" Like I know she's not going to pull the mask
1: off, but it feels like she could. Like yeah. she, he, he it's is a a entirely, moment. yeah, a yeah. very trusting moment, exactly. And it's also he's getting to kiss Mary Jane, which he's wanted to do his entire life. But yes. she's not kissing Peter Parker; she's kissing Spider Man. For the most part, yeah, I like the movie in within the wake of all these new Marvel movies with, I don't know. It, it, you're right. It doesn't necessarily hold up against them, but I don't think it sucks either. No. I'll have no problem watching this with my kids. I think that they'll enjoy it. I think that it's a good family sort of romp. Um, I could watch this with my eight year old and my 12 year old today in a way I probably couldn't the Batman movies yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Batman movies are. No, you're right. <laughs> that doesn't mean
1: make it better or worse. I'm just right. right, no, it's a different, it's an entirely different take on it. Okay. You know. Is there anything else you want to say about Spider Man the first?
0: No, I mean, I have, like, piles and piles of notes, but, like, I, I can summarize all of them in, I, like... The, here, here, let's it. do it. Okay, hold on. Let, let me actually, like, pull these up. It's funny, because as I got through these movies, I took less and less notes until, like, <laughs> Dark Knight
1: Rises, where I have zero. Um, um, sometimes I, well, I take tons of notes, sometimes I take minimal, but it seems like if I bring pages with me, I don't use them, and if I don't bring pages, I'm, like, floundering.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, uh... I guess one of my biggest issues with this movie, and this uh, series as a whole, um, is is the romance angle. As much as we just complimented uh, the upside-down kiss scene, I feel like that scene works, but the overall story doesn't. Um, Mary Jane, and again, this happens throughout the, all of, like, Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, uh, it feels like she kind of feels the emotions that she needs to to move the plot forward, and not necessarily the ones that would make sense. She has a good thing going with, uh, with Harry for a bit, but Spider-Man's really interesting uh, to her, which makes sense because he's a superhero. But then at the very end of the movie, she realizes she actually loves Peter all along. Yeah. And that doesn't land that's well. such a movie thing. Yeah.
1: I also think it's interesting that we made it this deep into the review and didn't mention James Franco. And I think that might say something about James Franco. I don't hate the man. Sometimes I actually think he really shows up to work and can impress me. And sometimes he sleeps wa- sleepwalks too. So. Sometimes he does Pineapple Express. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like every night, yeah, like I said, there's no consistency to him. I don't necessarily think he sucks as Harry, but he certainly doesn't do anything to draw attention to himself, you know? He looks... He has that vaguely bored Franco face on, you know?
0: Yeah. Which is too bad, because I feel like his story throughout
1: these three movies actually is a little bit more interesting than Spider-Man's overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and uh, that's one thing that uh, you talked about, Sam Raimi laying track really well early with the plot. Not only does he do that successfully within the context of this movie, but I think he is setting up sort of thematically things that we're going to go on to and definitely, you know, setting up Harry to have a fall.
0: And I feel like that comes to the head in the third movie, which we'll get to a movie from now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Good enough. Good enough.
2: small for someone like Bruce Wayne to disappear your parents death was not your fault my parents deserve justice I cannot let that pass if you make yourself more than just a man then you become something else entirely which a legend Mr. Wayne Mr. Wayne are you coming back for long, sir? As long as it takes to show the people of Gotham their city doesn't belong to
1: the criminals and the corrupt. So, uh, everybody loves Christopher Nolan. And, uh, I think that on a technical filmmaking level, like, he can make amazing action sequences. I think a good analogue to him actually in a lot of ways would be Jim Cameron. James Cameron uh that especially early in his career he was always seeming to be on the sort of cutting edge of you know the technology for filmmaking and always telling big bold, typically science fiction stories and the next James Cameron movie was always sort of looked forward to as kind of an event picture and I think that it sort of peaked with Terminator 2 and it's been diminishing returns since then but but people will argue that point But Nolan's arguably the most successful and most lauded mainstream filmmaker that we got going right now, and this Batman trilogy is a big part of why. As much as I love Nolan as a technical filmmaker, I I have this weird hiccup with him in that, especially with the screenplays, he seems really preoccupied in wanting to make sure that everyone knows He's super smart. <laughs> he's not just going to give you a Batman movie. He's going to give you the smartest, edgiest, darkest, like Oscar caliber Batman movie that y- y- you can have. And uh, and he, anything that he puts his hand to, he invests in 100%. But there's almost always one thread, and not, not necessarily an obscure one, a fairly obvious thread, that if you start to pull, will we'll bring the whole thing down on itself. I think he's better suited for making, you know, straightforward, fun action movies than he is for sort of some of the more highbrow stuff that he attempts sometimes because of this predilection. So some of my very favorite things that Christopher Nolan has done has been the Batman movies. That said, if I was making a superhero movie (laughs) and not to compare myself to Christopher Nolan, there are things that I would do differently. Batman Begins, the first of the three. I think as far as uh, bringing the story of the Dark Knight, the sort of early 90s reinvention of Batman, to the screen and making an, in quotation marks, adult superhero movie is completely successful. Christian Bale is a great Batman. I think that the world of Gotham is well-rendered and complete, but I also feel this weird distant coldness to it. It almost feels like a David Fincher film or something like we're watching a police procedural, (laughs) you know, again, it feels Oscar caliber, but the subject is comic book and how comfortable that is from scene to scene works or doesn't for me. The origin story for Batman that we are treated to here is different than anything we've seen before. Yes, his parents are killed in a back alley and yes, that sort of starts a lifelong sort of need to avenge crime and fight crime and save Gotham. But we also get the specificity of why bats. We get the specificity of, you know, where did he get his training and why is he this almost superhuman fighter. And everything up until the point where he puts on the cape and cowl, I think works wonderfully. Third act, I have problems with. But uh, I'm here to get your opinion. Where do you land on Batman Begins?
0: Man, I feel like you're putting a lot of your uh, issues with Nolan on this movie. I mm-hmm. I uh, I bring my own baggage. and I will <laughs> totally admit that. <laughs> okay, I um, this movie is actually what got me into Batman. Um, like in general, I uh, I've never been much of a comic book reader. Not because I have anything against the medium, but just because on my list of stuff to do, movie comes first, biking comes second, video games, and then you know, and then you get to like comic books way down at the bottom right. um, I uh, I originally saw this movie, I had completely like, disregarded it when it had come out because of kind of the stigma of Batman movies at that time I was like oh yeah a yeah. Batman movie and some people were like no this one's really like dark and a little bit scary honestly and I'm like whatever it's a Batman movie mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until the lead up to Dark Knight that I started paying attention because everyone just kept talking about Heath Ledger's Joker and then he died and it, yeah. it like tripled and at that point I'm like oh man I'm really excited for Dark Knight because there seems to be a lot of hubbub about this I'm, I'm interested in this for better or worse I'm gonna watch Batman Begins because I'm not gonna watch the second one without watching the first one right. and it blew me away might be a bit strong but but it caught me off guard how solid it was and we were talking about Spider-Man and it being uh, like in the first 15 minutes of Spider-Man one everything set up yeah. Batman begins as the opposite yeah. where, like you, you don't even like hear the words Batman until like an hour and a half into the movie um it, it is a slow burn and it is a much more intentionally complex movie than the Spider-Man movies mm-hmm. uh and that never that never bothered me it, uh, I uh, I really like this movie. It's an impressive, like... Impressive. It's a very yeah. impressive movie. But it, more than being good or bad, I feel like, especially for Nolan's third motion picture at all, his first one was a... The following? It, yeah, it was Following, which he made for uh, like $6,000. I made a web series for a third of that, and it was not a third the movie right. that Following was. And then Memento, which was also solid, but very, very low scale. It had like three sets... Some big name actors, but not a whole lot of like scope Th- to do that, and then like just fully flex his filmmaking muscle on a Batman movie, and to come
1: away so successfully is, I think, I think impressive. Um, I think he did an, uh, Insomnia before this as well as the uh, uh, Chino. I thought Insomnia
0: was after Begins. No, was it? I believe. Anyway. I want to say uh, so. He's
1: a, he is a talented filmmaker, and I understand <laughs> why he got the job, and I wouldn't take the job out of his hands. I think this similar thing happened with Spider-Man, although it had a little bit more momentum to it, and that it is an origin story. Mm-hmm. So by necessity, it does take a while for him to put the cape on. I think what, what I'm. Uh, saying is that I liked the movie so much leading up to when he put the cape on that I was a little bit disappointed once he put the cape on <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so what, what what broke down for you because like I don't actually have a distinction of like I I thought the ending was a little bit weaker than the rest of the movie but I mean like literally the last two scenes were a little bit weaker than all the scenes before it I don't have this key moment in my head where I'm like oh yeah he becomes Batman and then the movie
1: kind of breaks apart um Okay. The it, when we get to the third act and it comes to we, I guess we could just talk the plot. He is basically taught to become the super fighter Fred, by this mysterious order led by Liam Neeson playing this same role that he does again and again and again. This sort of the guy who lost his daughter, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know the sage guy who gives out wisdom and you know prepares the hero for his journey. Liam Neeson is the guy to do that. Like he's done it several times. Um and you know big twist towards the end when he finds that uh, after this life of training that Bruce Wayne's not going to give his loyalty to him then he comes to you know destroy Gotham and destroy everything that he wants to make out of this Batman. Cuz he sees it as false that he would strike out alone. He has to be one of the boys, right? Right. Um the I believe my friend Matthew referred to it when we talked about it as the, this lawyerly thing that happens at towards the end of the movie. And I am sort of jumping right to the end, but it's sort of emblematic of the the script problem or, or a character flaw that we that goes unrecognized by the screenplay. There is through convoluted machinations of the plot, there is a speeding subway car full of <laughs> explosives headed towards you know uh, Wayne Tower, and it's going to explode. And Liam Neeson is on board, and he and Batman have had a confrontation. And Batman says to him, I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you. And, and then, Christian Bale? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then he sort of flies out of the subway car. Right. You killed him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> tell yourself whatever you want to go to bed at night. I feel like if you're gonna be the dark knight, if you're gonna be punishing crime, but. By not acting to save him, and by, you know, setting the trap and putting him on that train, you killed him. <laughs> it was a ridiculous notion. And it was ridiculously executed. Because for all of the, uh, you know, why they made a point, and in the comic book it's true too, he doesn't just want to fight criminals, he wants to terrify them. Mm-hmm. And he buys all this tech, and he builds this suit, and he becomes Batman. But instead of having a microphone to make his voice sound booming and scary and distorted... He talks like this. <laughs> right? It it seems so obvious and such an easy fix that they don't bother to fix in three movies. Right? So, uh, and, and there's just a lot of things that the, the, did to, to take me out of the movie. I was with the movie, I was going with the movie and then all of a sudden once, because it, maybe it was because of how seriously it was taking itself. Once the costume came on, I, I, the, I the veil started to slip a little bit. Then it sort of, no, this is silly though, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I still like the movie. I, again, I sound really negative. I'm This is a positive review of Batman Begins. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think that the first two-thirds of the movie borders on amazing. And that last act kind of doesn't. And it, be, it sort of deflates the movie a little bit.
0: I want to jump back a little bit. So the, the, you, you take issue with the voice. I do. As many people do. I have a question for you. Is it the decision of the voice or is it literally the sound of the voice that bothers you
1: it becomes progressively and we don't see a lot of it in the first movie i think Mm -hmm. it's in the second
0: second movie, movie people have forgotten it happened honestly
1: in the second movie we were all blown away by by the joker right but it's funny scenes like when when batman is talking to commissioner gordon okay he doesn't need to do the voice he's not trying to intimidate or scare gordon and I, I think that the two of them have an understanding. In fact, I'm fairly sure Gordon knows exactly who Batman is,
0: right? Uh, if you watch the third one, he's very taken aback by the revelation <laughs> at the very end. Uh, so, I, so, like, I... Why does he choose to talk like that Because
1: he's talking to the chief of police?
0: He... Talks like that. Have you really watched these movies? Yeah, he talks like that whenever he is quote-unquote Batman. There's a couple of scenes where he is, uh, like throughout the trilogy, not in the first movie, where he is in the suit and he's not using the voice. And very specifically, each one of those scenes, he's being Bruce Wayne. Like he is talking like, hey, I know you know me, but me as Bruce Wayne, even though I'm wearing this costume, is talking to you, other character, usually Rachel. Um, But when he is Batman as Batman personified, he always uses the voice. Yeah always and that's that's kind of the thing for me it's and it's a lot of I I always took it to mean it's a lot of uh, it was happening for a lot of reasons he does it to intimidate people he's trying to be all kick your ass Um, but he's also disguising his voice so that people are like wait I mean, this news clip sounds familiar. Bruce Wayne sounds just like Batman. Oh man, like he's doing it to disguise his voice. He's doing it to intimidate. He's also doing it because he can't breathe through his nose in the costume. <laughs> and they also like I noticed this. He, can't, he like he doesn't have any nose holes. Yeah. His nose is just plugged up in in all of the movies. Oh, it's, wow. That's a. I'm not sure why they chose to do that, but that's that's part of it. There's
1: certain obstacles you have to work with. Like, apparently, Michael Keaton in the first Batman movie could barely move his neck to the left and right. Like you almost have to <laughs> and they, I, they never
0: fixed that until Dark Knight. Yeah.
1: I don't know. It just seemed like an easy fix. When you read the Dark Knight comic books when he was Batman, the text was in big, bold, dripping black letters. Like, it was the most terrifying sound ever. And I don't know what exactly that would translate to, but I don't think it was this... Again, it seems like a small thing, but it becomes an increasingly big thing as things as the movies progress for me.
0: It's really interesting. This is such I find this such a hard point to talk about because like I it never like before I was even a fan of the movies it never pulled me out and I have a hard time kind of you know relating to uh, people like you that are thrown off by it. Like, it, it seemed like and uh, it just never bothered me it didn't strike me as a great decision it didn't strike me as a bad decision it was just like oh that's a decision you know this Batman um, this Batman has a tank as a car and he talks like this that's
1: that's just how he is Well, I haven't seen the new Batman versus Superman, but apparently they did correct that. In the new Batman vs. Superman, his it's, voice is you, augmented. You're
0: saying correct, but again, like, like for me, it, it never pulled me out. Um, and it definitely wasn't, even, even as a thing, because I notice it now because people talk about it so much, but yeah. even as a thing
1: I'm paying attention to, I still don't feel like it diminishes the scenes where it happens. Most of the time when he's in the cape, He's fighting and doing business so yeah uh, especially in this first movie because we get a relative for a movie called batman begins there's not a whole lot of batman in it um we have already in the first batman movie too a little bit of a villain surplus uh tom wilkinson it was a british actor plays this way over the top gangster and uh i love him as uh
0: he's yeah he's he's Falcone in this one right yeah, yeah. and
1: killian murphy plays the the Scarecrow Scarecrow Dr. Crane and uh, there's a really great potential there I love how they handled the mask I think it's time for me to show you the mask and I love that you know they say that he sprays chemicals that cause people to hallucinate and go crazy Yeah, but we we see Scarecrow in all three, I believe, of the Batman movies. He is in a
0: hundred percent of the Nolan Batman movies,
1: but he's never fully realized. He's always just on the edge of it, and I feel like that that kind of <laughs> disappointment is like I I almost wanted him to be the villain. <laughs> well, it's funny you say
0: that coming off the back of Spider-Man three, where like too many villains, there were you know too many distractions. I and this is getting back to I think Nolan as a filmmaker, and this is very apparent in all of the movies. Um, I, like no one's making movies for himself whether you find him a pretentious screenwriter or not um, I feel like he's like I'm really interested in doing a, uh, a League of Shadows as the villain yeah. and then uh, maybe he likes Scarecrow, maybe Scarecrow works particularly well because this movie's theme is fear they all have themes, they all have like these you know, sub in them this one was very clearly fear, overcoming it using it you know what causes like every scene someone's talking about fear somehow the, yeah. the the gangster brings it up it's part of Batman's training Scarecrow's whole thing is he scares people with yeah. the hallucinogen so maybe Scarecrow worked very well in relation to that yeah thematically Um I think just pacing wise it works well to have him even like of course I, I'd love to see like a whole movie of Dr. Octopus I'd love to see a whole movie of Cillian Murphy as the Scarecrow but just for Batman Begins as its own film, I think you you have to pick your battles and you have to kill your darling sometime, yeah. and Scarecrow is a perfectly reasonable darling to kill.
1: I, yeah, and I liked him in the movie, and again, like I, I would maybe miss him if he wasn't there, but because in the end he was used so little, I'm not quite sure why we spent so much Batman time... Batman never
0: him. even defeats him. Uh, <laughs> Rachel does with the taser. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, Katie Holmes is playing Rachel yeah, in this
0: Yeah, which we, we were talking about Kristen Dunst, or I was talking very much about Kristen Dunst and how she didn't land as a girlfriend for me. Katie Holmes is on the way other end of the spectrum as Rachel. Like, she's her own person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand. Like even We have, like, two scenes of them together. One as kids, one as, like, just hanging out before a hearing. And that was enough for me to establish why Bruce would have a crush on her, why she might reciprocate but might not. I, I really liked her.
1: I felt like they were bonded from since they were kids. Whereas with with Peter Parker and MJ it was like they were neighbors and they were just <laughs> he bonded together, to her. But like but... yeah, he he was basically this next door neighbor creeper is how I felt about it. I felt more history between the two of them. Yeah. It's weird cuz when we're talking about these Batman versus Superman the, or Spider-Man, pardon me. The Spider-Man movies are so goofy to almost edge on stupid. And the batman movies are so serious as to edge on pretentious yes and it's interesting how far apart they are <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> they're both comic book movies they're both superhero movies but they're both completely different movies yeah um again i, I i'm gonna try and count of course correct here because i'm sounding really negative about the movie well, it's very entertaining it's got great action set pieces uh Tom Wilkinson comes closest to overplaying it, but I'm amused by it because, you know, he's a sort of refined British actor playing this way over the top New York gangster. Well,
0: yeah, one thing in Nolan's movies, and I, I notice it the most in the Batman movies, but he has this thing where, uh, despite having a reputation for super seriousness, he usually, uh, it's almost like a Grand Theft Auto game where the main characters are the most serious and the most, like, we'll say, you know, paragraphs upon paragraphs of exposition- um, and then, like the secondary characters are a little bit more casual, but any character that basically doesn't have a name is almost straight up campy. Yeah. Uh, like they'll they'll crack jokes. They'll do things like oh, like at the very beginning of the movie, the guy in the prison that uh, Bruce Wayne finds himself in, he's like, "You're in hell, and I'm the devil." Yeah. <laughs>
1: Batman's like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> yeah. Uh, I gotta give props to Christian Bale too. Like I. I I sound like I'm being hard on for the voice. I don't know if that was his decision or Nolan's decision. Again, it's a decision that rubs me the wrong way, but I, I will live with it. It doesn't sink the ship or anything for me. But his physical transformation from the machinist from the this. machinist to Batman is unbe fucking <laughs> I thought he was all bu- buffed up for this ridiculous Rain of Fire movie. Then he like went to this emaciated, ridiculous, dangerously skinny guy for for the machinist and then he poured all the pounds back on in pure muscle to play batman. And he may be like Nolan, I suspect could probably be one of these people who's guilty of taking himself maybe a little bit too seriously, but I have respect for him as an actor and his wearing the batman uniform it's weird cuz to a certain respect it stops being about you. Once you're in the once you're in the batman outfit, you're right. A batman, yeah, right? It, so it's not easy to make it yours. And you need, especially your Bruce Wayne, to work. I've, and Bruce Wayne works. I think he's a fantastic Bruce Wayne. And I do Bruce think he's... Bruce Wayne movies... arguably works... Better than bad. <laughs>
0: well, I would say these movies are more about Bruce Wayne than they are about Batman.
1: Which helps. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It could, and, and that's all, again, Nolan trying to keep this as real world as possible. So mm-hmm. it, it's when it gets to, you know, the action figures smashing into each other that it's harder and harder to make it real world. You can't do the Green Goblin wearing the mask flying and throwing pumpkin grenades at people because that doesn't work in Nolan's universe. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's like Sam Raimi sort of... Bent film to make it accommodate comics. Yes, and uh, Nolan's sort of the other end of it. He's bending comment, comics to accommodate his film, uh, and they're both p- perfectly reasonable tracks to take. So, I do like Batman Begins, but I, again, it's it's that thing because it takes itself so seriously. It, when when it veers to the left or right, it, the discordance sort of sounds louder to me.
2: I believe there's a hero in all of us. Gives us strength, makes us noble. Even though sometimes we have to give up the thing we want the most. Barker!
0: Where you been, looking for you all morning? You're late. Always late! You're fired. Look at you, Peter.
2: Your grades have been declining. You always appear exhausted. I know I'm trying
0: where you been pal you don't return my calls i've been kind of busy taking pictures of your friend spider-man killed my father
2: no matter what i do do you love me or not
0: no matter how hard i try i want spider-man dead it's the ones i love who will always be the ones who pay
2: i can't keep thinking about you i'm getting married i want a life of my own i'm spider-man
1: no more So I think that when we talk about Spider-Man 2, it's another case, and it will echo in the Nolan Batman movies, where the sequel takes everything that was working in the first movie and makes it better. I think that it's easily the best of the three Spider-Man movies. Easily, yes. And uh, I think that a lot of the reason why is the choice of the villain doc Ock and the actor playing him alfred molina and him being sort of a tragic figure
0: we are on the same page so far (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) and um that they've moved forward two years even just two years later the effects are better enough that i'm not as distracted by them and we don't need to wait for toby Maguire to become spider-man from frame one of the movie we have our spider-man um i think that it could be considered weary and I, I watched all three of them very quickly together so uh again we've, we've see toby mcguire's character peter parker just getting fucking beaten by life for the first half an hour of this movie and it really is like damn it you know <laughs> it really, uh it, it's kind of painful to watch him to a certain degree but they're gonna pay it off with a big win for him by the end of the movie right and uh I guess the closest thing I can say to a complaint is that I actually did get distracted and sort of put off by the amount of shit that gets dumped on Peter. And <laughs> it's just like, Here's another scene where Peter eats shit, <laughs> right? But, yeah, the villain is so much better. And the, you know, the animated of the, the tentacles, the fact that they seem to have the, the octopus arms, the mechanical arms, have their own sort of sentience. And there's a war of wills between this you know, mad scientist and these, these powerful yeah, arms.
0: Th- that was the thing that I really liked about Dr. Octopus in this movie, especially compared to Green Goblin in the movie before, is that I feel like th- it sets up that these arms are bringing out the darker side in uh, Otto Octavius. But I also get the sense that given complete power, he would still follow a very similar path. I think maybe not as quickly, but if he set his mind to something, at least the way he is in the beginning of the movie, um, he probably would maybe rob a bank or, you know, set up stuff without needing to be influenced by it. And so that I feel like that makes it doubly interesting when he needs to go against that kind of stuff a little bit later on. Yeah. It feels like a character arc, I guess yeah, is what I'm trying well, to say.
1: Uh, you, he's a character who's not used to being wrong or failure. Yes. And he has a spectacular failure. A spectacular failure that costs him his sort of, Physicality in his mind and his wife's life, right? Um, and so you know he, he wants redemption. He wants to make this all worth something.
0: But he's also yeah. But like unlike the Green Goblin, he's not just crazy for crazy's sake or a bad guy for bad guy's sake, which I think makes him first of all more interesting, but also more dangerous because it's it's harder to get. Uh, a beat on someone who's not just, like, a one-note, you know, angry or resentful person, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, There are weird sort of counterintuitive things to the screenplay. Um, We're supposed to believe that Kristen Dunst is a not super successful actress at this point. And yet, her picture is on posters throughout the city. Yeah. If if you're on advertisements that many places in In, New York... Broadway? Yeah. You're doing okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And just generally speaking, I mean, I know we're going to build up to her reveal that this is, you know, she's going to find out who Peter is and why he's been holding her at arm's length. But it goes from her being kind of... uh, annoyed with him to being outright hostile towards Peter. It kind of makes Mary Jane a little less likable at times. And there's also jumping threads a little bit. uh, I wrote it off when I watched it this time as part of the madness with Octavius and the tentacle making him not see things clearly. Mm -hmm. But there's a plot point where he needs to talk to Peter Parker because Peter Parker knows how to get pictures of (laughs) Spider-Man. So he wants to steal Peter Parker's girlfriend if necessary to do what it takes to get Spider-Man entrapped. The first thing he does is throw a car at them. <laughs> right? Like a full car smashes through the window of the restaurant where they're having coffee. And if he didn't have the Spider-Sense, if he didn't have lightning reflexes, even they're with, both dead. Even with
0: those lightning reflexes,
1: they barely missed it. Just. So, like... Maybe the
0: plan was to just squish them and wait for Spider-Man to come. Yeah, then Spider-Man will come to avenge the death of <laughs> yeah, his friend. exactly.
1: Like, at the time at first happened especially when it's saw in the theater you didn't even really think about it because what a cool awesome special effects scene right is. but it, it, there's a few logic gaps in the movie but it's a comic book movie and if you look for logic gaps in comic book movies you're going to find them for the most part it still has the same momentum as the first movie with a much better story and much stronger characters mm-hmm. uh, James Franco is starting to brood more and become <laughs> you know take his villain role he doesn't trust Peter because
0: he you know you he think Peter's sticking up for Spider-Man yeah. instead of helping out his whole buddy who was yeah. there for him? My in high dad school. was
1: murdered, you son of a bitch! And this... again, I think if he was emoting even slightly more, I, I could <laughs> maybe, maybe felt more for it. But it's a tier two story. They're setting up for the, the third film, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which
0: I, is like I one of the things that kind of. I, I hate it when movies do this. I feel like just telling the truth could have got him a lot further with Harry, Peter, that is. Yeah. Like, even if he doesn't straight out say, I'm Spider-Man, he's like, oh yeah, Spider-Man has something to tell you. Meet him at the bridge at midnight. <laughs> and Spider-Man goes, didn't kill your dad. He went crazy because of Goblin stuff. Believe me or don't. Wasn't yeah. my fault. See ya.
1: Well, it's the sort of classic sitcom frustration. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, uh, when i come home from school, there would be reruns of this old 70s show, uh, Three's Company. And it's classic situation comedy. It's just like. If anybody would just stop and explain themselves, then everything would be okay. I would get so frustrated and have to turn off the TV because everybody just... Just stop what you're doing. Yeah. Right? Just talk about it like adults. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't don't you know, compound the lie. Don't make it worse. They could maybe
0: also do that with Octavius. Just be like, yo, I know that you're being controlled by tentacles, but maybe if we just talk this through,
1: exploding the city isn't a good idea. Yeah. Uh, there are such great sequences in the movie like the the bank vault sequence being a really good one uh, absolutely absolutely. i think my favorite sequence of all three of the spider-man movies is in this one and it's when uh, the accident has happened with octavius and he's in the hospital and the surgeons are trying to remove the the arms from his back and uh he's still more or less out of it unconscious and being operated arms on but the arms decide to defend themselves And it's like this full-on horror movie sequence. Well, it rings very much of the Evil Dead. Absolutely it does. It was like, (laughs) yeah. I mean, they grab a chainsaw at one point. Yeah, and like there's one of the surgeons reaching for a bone saw to try and get this thing away. And it does, for just a few seconds, turn into an Evil Dead movie. And that makes me smile so much. (laughs) Um, And it it is easily the scariest thing I think that happens in any of the movies. It is like a pretty dark sequence. There's no blood in it, but a lot of doctors die pretty brutal. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But he starts, uh, as much as I said that he's a real person and not necessarily a horrible bad guy, he also starts irredeemable by just murdering fools.
1: But again, that was not necessarily all him, right? Right, yeah. This war of wills happening, which is what... And
0: his will wasn't even there for the vote at
1: the time. Yeah. Whereas with the Green Goblin, Willem Dafoe took a serum and it made him go crazy, right? Yeah. Um, this guy is fighting. There's a war going on at all times in him, and he wants to do the right thing. But, the you know, it's a good flip side to the whole, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. This mm-hmm. is what happens when the power takes over, right? So... Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man the
0: Second. <laughs> call back to Spider-Man 1. I did enjoy the scene in the train where uh, Spider-Man has stopped his train from colliding, but it's just taken everything out of him. And the uh, the passengers on the train all kind of help him up, and his mask is gone, and it's a very tender moment. And then Doc Ock shows up to finish the job, and they're like, Hey, New York knows how to deal with this. you got to fight all of us if you want, Spider-Man. And he's like, yeah, okay. And he just pushes them to him the, the, the side yeah. and
1: grabs him. It was almost an acknowledgement of that sort of... Which uh, is,
0: if I was the Green Goblin in that first movie, even though it was 2002 in a different time, I probably would have exploded the bridge.
1: (laughs) Well, again, it is very comic book. At the end of the first movie, Spider-Man has Mary Jane in one arm and a web and a cable, holding a cable, which is holding an entire cable car with (laughs) one arm. I mean, you don't get more preposterous than that, but we believe it. Um, this similar thing with this battle that he has with Dr. Octopus on the side of the building. Dr. Ock has m- his Aunt May in one of the tentacles, and he's got all these bags of gold coins, because apparently we still do business with gold coins. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, they're throwing sacks of money at each other, and, you know...
0: Sacks things, of money things. would hurt. Like, I'd almost rather a manhole cover be thrown at me, because <laughs> then, like, either you dodge it completely, or... Or you're done. Well, with sex and money. I feel like you could survive that in a way that maybe not be very pleasant.
1: Yeah, I think that it, this is the most like where it works perfectly in the sort of rainy Spider-Man universe. It is completely a comic book, but it is completely fun and enjoyable, and uh, it's preposterous. But you just you sort of you, you get enveloped in it, and you and you just go with it, and you love it. Mm-hmm. You're are you being asked to take it seriously? Yeah, it's enough to a point that you can you know care about the stakes but you know it's fun
0: it is a fun movie i do have some complaints go um my first complaint it's a note that comes up very much in my notes this movie i understand that they're doing this for fun but it's a little bit distracting it has a lot of screaming women um i know that's a weird thing to say but rewatching it again it feels like um I assume you've seen Soylent Green. I have. Did you notice in Soylent Green, whenever there's a gunfight, whenever someone misses with their gun, they shoot uh, like a female passerby. Yeah. A hundred percent of the time. And the first time it's like, oh geez, that's weird. And then the second time you're like, Oh man, it happened again. And by like the fifth time you're like, <laughs> I can't it believe another hates Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not quite to the same extent, but like every time something crazy's going on, there will be like a cut to like some lady just screaming and not like not a very natural scream. Like i uh, I've seen a mouse, and everyone in the house needs to be aware of it. Palms to the side yeah, exactly. Of
1: the face tilted angle. Yeah. Ah,
0: exactly. And it happens like a few too many times. Even with, even in a, you know, a more light-hearted, relatively light-hearted movie, it felt a little distracting. Me. Not enough that I'd be like, "Oh, this movie's half as good as it would be if like they cut out all the screaming women." Yeah. But enough that I noted it. The other bigger, uh, more macro complaint I have about this movie is once again. The romance doesn't land for me at all, and this time it's a bigger part of the movie. And uh kind of piggybacking on that, I feel like a lot of characters do things for, and this is coming back to being a, a comic book movie of the comic books, and not necessarily a movie first, then a comic book second, like right. the Nolan movies more so are, Um It feels like people do things for plot reasons and not necessarily for personal reasons. Mary Jane in this movie is getting married to a perfect guy who's also James Jonah, Jameson's son. And none of it, like, feels like a thing that would have happened naturally. It feels like a thing that's happening because that makes big stakes for Peter. Um, Yeah. yeah. I can't be with you, Peter, so I'm going to marry this guy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's the second most perfect man after someone who's literally Spider-Man. He's he's an astronaut that played football on the moon, apparently. Yeah. And there's and uh, Mary Jane once again like I she feels like I don't know if I'm misremembering one and or sorry two and three but she feels like an emotional bag in the wind where what she feels and how she reacts to things isn't necessarily how a person would react to things even in a comic book movie but more so uh, the way she needs to react to things for things to move forward in the way they need to move forward if she needs to be sad in a scene even if it doesn't make sense she'll be sad because that you know makes. Peter sad and I, I think I'm completing the uh, second one and the third one a little bit um, but stuff like that happens a lot I uh, on the other side of the coin I really enjoyed Peter losing his powers it yeah. adds uh, stakes in this movie with him uh, it's something I kind of relate to a lot because it feels like he's losing it because of stress which he's losing his confidence his it, mojo exactly yeah. if, if he had gone through puberty this is like senior year. Yeah. Um, where, yeah, like not believing in himself is having like actual physiological responses, which is a little bit closer to reality than I think a lot of people would expect. Well, coming back
1: to the sexual analogy, he's having performance things. Yeah, exactly. His his webs
0: just aren't slinging as tautly as before. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, and that was interesting to watch. But the resolution of that didn't feel very complete to I me. Mean, it felt like he, he got his powers back when we he needed, needed. to... For plot reasons, yeah. not, like like a like a transporter, like oh yeah, we got it fixed. We can end the episode now. Mm-hmm. Um, imaginary not,
1: problems with imaginary solutions.
0: Exactly. Instead of like tying it in with some kind of key character moment, and I was looking for it. It felt like that could have been handled a little bit better.
1: Well, to a degree, I can agree with what you're saying. As far as like the uh, old timey lilted angles and ladies screaming stuff, yeah. I will say that. Sam Raimi has a love of old-timey Hollywood (laughs) and things like the Three Stooges and things that are kind of hard and on the nose like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not accidental. I do think, like, like it or hate it, it's an aesthetic choice. But I think that he did that very deliberately. Like, he probably told that extra that I want you to not give me a scream. I want you to vamp. I want you to be like, (laughs)
2: oh, my God!
1: Right? Like, as big as life, right? And uh, that works for you or it doesn't. But uh, I will say, I think that it was a conscious choice. As far as what you're talking about with Kristen Dunst, I think that just generally speaking, a tough road to hoe because... (laughs) that's the role of the a lot of women in comic books right she represents the heart the goal the the thing that the hero wants that can't necessarily always have and when she's not doing that which means basically she's being a drag or she's being mm-hmm. you know a doormat she has been kidnapped and needing to be rescued and that's basically what kirsten dunst does for all three of these movies and i can understand how that would get old for her i will say that it Especially when we get to the third one, she she edges on becoming unlikable, right? Edges, yes. Um, <laughs> she's too pretty to be completely unlikable. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I do want to say, like, opposite of that, I felt like the Dr. Octopus stuff, especially at the very end, was handled very well. Spider-Man never defeats Dr. Octopus. Dr. Octopus overcomes himself, and the self-sacrifice at the end was... That was the character moment I was looking for for Spider-Man. Not necessarily that he'd die or kill himself, but that he would overcome some internal struggle naturally... And there would be a conclusion to that. Yeah. Um, I really, really, really liked the end with Dr. Octopus. I thought that was maybe the best part of the movie. That
1: was the upside-down kiss of yeah. Spider-Man 2 for me. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, because both in 1 and 2, we see that Spider-Man gets the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. That on. last fight between the Green Goblin in the first movie, it's just like, he's getting pumped. The guy throws a bomb him. in his face. Yeah. Uh, and in... Same thing with Octavius. He just gets hammered and hammered and hammered. He The the win is when he breaks through to Octavius psychologically. Exactly. He doesn't have any physical win against exactly. this guy. He's not matched. And again, that's interesting. And uh, as far as comic book villains go, like, Dr. Octopus is right up there with Loki as far as I'm concerned, as far as what we've seen on screen for comic book villains.
0: I know this isn't what most people would say, but if uh, it was announced tomorrow that there is a Loki movie coming out and a Dr. Octopus movie coming out, I'd see the Dr. Octopus movie. (laughs) It's just a little less smug. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) Where do we begin? A year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened?
1: So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. (laughs) Here's my card. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the best of these three Batman movies. (laughs) The Dark Knight. Um... The closest sort of ancillary that I can see to this as far as the style of the movie is a Michael Mann picture called Heat. Hmm. Do you know Heat? Oh, I know Heat. Uh, Al Pacino and, uh, and Bob De Niro sort of coming out of. You have two people with very different worldviews who we spend almost equal time sort of getting to know that's going to lead to this major confrontation. And they come away from the confrontation having changed each other, blah, blah, blah. That, and the sort of Michael Mann aesthetic, that opening bank heist sequence oh, yeah. could have been an, a deleted scene from Heat to me. Like, and I say that as a complete compliment, by the way. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I
0: had the note that it could have been its own, not its own movie, but its own short film. And yeah. in fact, pretty much is. If... If, like, something tragic, I mean, I guess more tragic than Heath Ledger dying, happened, and they're like, oh, this Dark Knight movie just isn't going to happen anymore. Turns out that all the Batman stock just plummeted, and (laughs) that's it. But we have this one scene. I think
1: that scene is justifiable in and of itself. Well, it's great, and it's a great introductionary scene for the Joker, and I remember watching it in the theater and knowing right away, okay... This is uh, going to be a better movie than The Batman Begins, which is a movie that I like. Because I keep on like, I feel yeah. like I'm overcorrecting for it. But I knew right away because it was a little bit more comic book right away. The Joker killed all of his henchmen. <laughs> the Joker had
0: all of his henchmen kill themselves. Yeah, kill each other. And yeah. the last guy picks up on it and he still gets screwed over. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, but there's fun to that sequence it's it's just there's so... fun in that sequence that was a little bit missing in Batman Begins for me um and the Joker uh as much as he's sinister and evil and uh, and we'll get into this Michael Caine uh sort of Nolan's good luck charm refers to him as an agent of chaos <laughs> uh I don't know that that works entirely but we can talk about that but what the Joker brings to, to the movie is this weird energy that, that we're not sure that the walls are going to, you know, stay the same. But the, the, the reality of the universe can shift a little more than it seemed it could in Batman Begins. And I found that welcoming. Uh, and the Joker set the stage,
0: and I feel like is still establishing um, how to do quote-unquote crazy in movies and games and media. Like, Jesus Christ, what a performance. What a character, what a performance. It, like it really, it, um, it really sets up this thing of a character that's unpredictable, but has a consistent internal logic. Like, everything the Joker does, you go, that's a Joker-type thing to do. But you couldn't sit down and go, this is what the Joker will do next. You can say, Luke Skywalker's definitely going to go save his friends on Cloud City, but you don't go... Yeah. Yeah, Joker's for sure, this is his deal.
1: For me, the, the, the Joker is a hard one to define, and maybe that's sort of what Nolan was going for, that, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, every time he tells us the origin of his scars, it's a different lie. Who knows where the scars came from? Right. <laughs> um, it would have been a really daunting thing, and if Heath Ledger was not the obvious pick for the Joker. And, you know, the, the movie was going to be huge no matter who you cast, but... Jack Nicholson was the last dude to play the Joker. And,
0: and until Heath Ledger turned around, everyone thought that was as good as the Joker get. Even though Mark Hamill was a pretty good Joker so, at the yeah, time, Mark I'll Hamill's say. Mark
1: Hamill's a good animated Joker, I agree too. But they're big shoes to fill, both right. from the character and from the fact that the last dude who did it was Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Heath Ledger, maybe because we compared Nicholson now, even though his career was sadly cut short... Uh, was not Nicholson when he got cast for this role. A lot of people no. were like... He wasn't a... cast
0: to be Nicholson. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, no, no. They weren't trying to. But it's just... But that's all what... All the I... names that you would expect. Who are they going to cast the Joker? Right. Would right. Like, people would have
0: been like, oh, probably Robin Williams. That makes sense. Or <laughs> well, something like
1: that. It's just not the first name that you would go to. <laughs> right. And I'm so glad that they went to Heath Ledger. And... I don't think he won the Academy Award just because it was posthumous and it was a tribute to him. I think he would have won the Academy Award regardless. (laughs) I remember,
0: it was so one-sided that I remember during those Oscars there was manufactured controversy. People were trying to be like, maybe Robert Downey Jr. is going to get it because of Tropic Thunder. That was a good performance too. Just to show you how little competition he had for that.
1: If they have a complaint... About the Dark Knight. It's that Heath Ledger's performance might just eat the movie. He certainly blows Christian Bale off of the map. Because Christian Bale's Batman is established. And Batman's character is fairly locked in. You know, Yeah. It's not quite Forrest Gump. In that like every scene is exactly the same. But we know who Bruce Wayne is. And we know who Batman is. And we know what to expect from both of them. There's not a lot of give there. Whereas the Joker we don't know what's going to happen in any given scene where it runs into some strangeness for me, and this is sort of, again, Nolan maybe outsmarting himself, is the agent of chaos stuff. The Joker is being portrayed as someone who just wants to see the world burn. He doesn't give a shit about money, he doesn't give a shit about power, he gives a shit about having a good time. That's a really cool idea and a really cool conceit for a villain, because how do you fight that? But the Joker's plan, as, as it escalates, is anything but madness. It is a very specific very, like, time-to-the-second meticulous plan. He has a guy in a jail cell where he knows he's going to be incarcerated with a bomb in him that will go off at the right time to help him escape. He has depth charges set throughout a hospital so that he can pull a trigger and make this entire hospital, like... I don't know where he gets his employees because he clearly has them kill each other. (laughs) Other comic book movie that Nolan couldn't even address because it wouldn't fit into his real world. But, no, he has very specific plans and he carries them out. He is not, in fact, an agent of chaos. He just seems to like to sell that to the people. And I think that that... Disjunction got A, lost by the public who just thought, he's an agent of chaos. What an awesome <laughs> thing. It's like, no, he's presenting that, but he's not that. The thing about the Joker is we don't know why he's the Joker. <laughs> and in a way, this movie almost could have been called The Joker. <laughs> <laughs> as much or more than The Dark Knight. Um, all of these things I'm saying as a negative, but I love the Joker in the movie. But like I say, he almost overtakes the, the whole
0: thing. I do have
1: a lot to say.
0: Um, to your first point, it is interesting because like this is, I find it to be a positive more than a negative. He Heath Ledger definitely, definitely, there's no way around it. He steals the show. Um, and he kind of casts a shadow on the other actors but I don't think any of the other acting is actively bad. I want to bring Eckhart's up like, Aaron Eckert's really good. Aaron Eckhart's really good. Um, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal takes over for Katie Holmes as Rachel and I actually think that's a very commendable performance because um, even though they're two clearly different people, uh, the character transitions seamlessly between movies, where like the lines are stuff that in this situation I can see the Katie Holmes Rachel saying uh, in the same way for the same uh, for the same reasons. Um, it's and, not
1: overly distracting. It sucks when they have to recast stuff like that. Yeah, it didn't it didn't take me away from the movie at all.
0: Exactly, and I think that's like a very commendable job on her part. Like you were saying, Aaron Eckhart, uh, like he does his own uh, thing as. Uh, as Harvey Dent and later on Two-Face which is I think like, it's it's interesting on its own it's just not the Joker so you, you, it feels like it's Nobody a lesser thinks performance Two-Face
1: when they think the dark
0: right and it's too bad because not that they should but it's again it's not these aren't bad performances you just like how do you how do you hold attention like like Heath Ledger doing his uh, Tom Waits thing over here yeah um Towards uh, the point of him being an Ageing of chaos, but not really. I am, um, it was interesting. Rewatching this movie, it's, he gets more and more uh, confident in himself and relaxed as his plan progresses. So it's very clear, even from the very beginning, he does actually have a plan, despite him saying that he doesn't. When he there's a scene, a uh, very, famous scene where he uh, walks in on mobsters having a discussion about uh, Commissioner Gordon, who's not the commissioner yet, I guess, uh, going in on all of their funds. He kind of drops in on this, and he like does the magic trick with the pencil, right. which I'm glad I got in this podcast because you can't talk about Dark Knight without <laughs> having that, that exact moment. But if you like watching the scene, it's fascinating because he's not like he's not sure of himself, not the same way he is. Is when he's in the interrogation room with Batman, where like things have pretty much like played out, the parts that could have gone really wrong haven't. Yeah. He's with these mobsters, they're not taking him as seriously as he wanted to on the, like at the first thing. He's like a little nervous, he's stuttering, he's like backtracking, uh, they keep calling him a freak and stuff, which he should have expected, but it's clearly getting under his skin. It's just a lot of characterization in that scene. And as things progress, he gets there's like this tipping point I've noticed where he wants to prove his point. Which is uh, that everyone's as crazy as him because clearly he has like some negative self-reflection on the fact that he is the Joker. Yeah. However, he got there. He's aware of it and he's self-conscious about it, despite also embracing it. Um, he wants Batman to kill him, so he does these other things to set up, uh, you know, Batman killing him, and then that doesn't play out. And then he wants Harvey Dent to kill him, but that doesn't play out. But then Harvey Dent starts killing other people, and that does play out, and he's like, ha-ha, mission success. So I feel like he's playing it both ways, where at any point his plan can fail, but he's trying to make it fail in his own agent of chaos, quote-unquote, direction. But also it does take a lot of planning and a lot of resources that he stole from the
1: mob. And that's just... It's... It really is that speech that Michael Caine gives that is the the misdirection of the whole movie. That some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. And I don't think that's the Joker. He doesn't want to just destroy Gotham. That big plan where he has, you know, the boat full of criminals that can be blown up. And there's going to be some world... He's teaching. He's doing classic supervillain stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of like the idea that he's just a showman. Or else maybe just a, a person without an identity. He's still mad he's just sort of projecting this this clown image because he has no personality of his own. Yeah. All of those things are arguably more interesting than somebody who's just crazy. Exactly. Yeah. No,
0: the green goblin, you know, comparisons could be right, but I think this is this is, you know, crazy done maybe not right, but definitely more interesting
1: um aaron eckhart i just kind of feel bad for i've always liked him as an actor and yeah, I, I think that thank there's nothing, you for smoking is great yeah there's nothing really wrong with his characterization he's just like gets blown off the screen <laughs> by everything else that's going on uh i have to say the decision to kill rachel in the movie uh it wasn't necessarily that i was surprised that she got killed but like how she got killed uh it, it was like it wasn't a a particularly, you know, glorious moment for her. She didn't get to spit in the villain's face. She didn't get to finish her sentence. And Batman wasn't there to see it happen, you know? It
0: felt like the movie didn't expect her to die.
1: Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really good. Like... I did not see that moment coming. And that's also a very pivotal moment in...
0: Like, like Game of Thrones is really prevalent now, and everyone's just kind of waiting for main characters to die. But yeah. at the time, like, it it caught everyone, although I guess Game of Thrones... Was, no, Game of Thrones wasn't going on then. Anyways, uh, it caught everyone off guard. I remember watching it with a friend for the first time after it had come out on video, and that scene played out where, like, you know, it explodes and she dies, and yeah. he's like huh and then he's like waited for from moment. he's like wait how dead is she and I'm like entirely he's like when's she coming back and she's not that's,
1: that's it and if we were watching the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie and yeah. there was Kristen Dunst and there was an explosion I would not for a second believe that she was dead you know there right. would be a scene where she comes stumbling out of the rubble or we see her wake up or like Spider-Man hospital.
0: swings out you, you hear a pssst of the
1: web and like they
0: get out in the nick of time
1: or take to the extreme of the Superman of the 70s where he yeah. literally make the world spin backwards and <laughs> first time to save Lois Lane none of that shit happens one of the benefits of taking the Nolan course and making it as real as possible is that death counts Stakes, stakes are for real when Maggie Gillenhall gets blown up that's it she's not in the next reel she's out of it and her death has serious repercussions for a lot of the characters in the movie and I'm like it, it's a good it's a win for the movie it was a good ballsy choice that paid off oh yeah so uh yeah props to that um i mean it's easily the best of the nolan batman movies i understand mm-hmm. why it was a huge hit and uh again my complaints about the joker are not really complaints about the the movie i just kind of feel like everyone has a different track on the go the joker than i do that doesn't mean it's bad <laughs> it's just it's just interesting um yeah, but if you haven't, for some reason, watched The Dark Knight, you missed out. Why are you listening to yeah, the are you listening? cast about it? Why did you just let us spoil the whole thing for you? And <laughs> um, even in this sort of day and age of very, very strong superhero movies, very few compare. To this it. movie could come out as is today and work just as well. Yeah. It is the Nolan universe in its most perfect form.
0: I'm going to ask MJ to marry me. A man
2: has to put his wife before himself. Can you do that, Peter? Yeah, I think I can.
0: We have some new information.
1: This is your uncle's actual killer. We lost his trail two days ago. This
2: man killed my uncle, and he's still out there. Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider Man. revenge it's like a poison that can take us over before you know it, it can turn you into something ugly the suit where'd this come from the power it feels good
1: you lose yourself to it here comes spider-man 3 you see the way, like you could just tell by my voice that my heart is just broken.
0: You've already, you've already lost the will to do this fight. <laughs>
1: well, here's the thing: uh, I, I love Sam Raimi, and I might be a little bit biased towards us, but I don't think that the problems with Spider-Man Three are entirely his fault.
0: I want to say, like I said at the beginning of this, this all started with you kind of throwing down and saying Spider-Man Three really isn't as bad as everyone remembers it, <laughs> and after rewatching it. I agree.
1: Yeah. 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 It's got its problems. And 100%. It, it's maybe not what you could honestly call good, but it's not a, de- it's not like completely a write off. I don't think I understand why people were disappointed. And I am one of those people who was disappointed, but it's a different animal. Uh, he spent all this time setting up James Franco, you know, to be the villain in this, this next movie. And Sam Raimi's favorite villain was the Sandman and the Sandman mm-hmm. was going to be it. But the powers that be had taken the pulse of nerd culture. And nerd culture wanted Venom. So they said, give us Venom. And Sam Raimi said, Venom needs to be his own movie. And they said, give us Venom.
0: (laughs) Give us Venom or there
1: won't be an own movie. On top of this, Tristan Dunst had made it clear that this was going to be her last Spider-Man movie. So they decide that they're going to add Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy. They really really changed it up. (laughs) so and then on top of that if you're going to set up Venom we have Topher Grace uh playing a you know a rival to Peter Parker so you have this sort of compiling of characters some of which are necessary to the story some of which aren't on top of you know uh reconciling his relationship with Mary J- Mary Jane and uh getting the black suit symbiote freeing himself from that setting up the Sandman fighting Harry there is way too much fucking plot to fit in this 2 hour and 20 minute movie and enough cuts were made out of every one of the single plot lines that none of them work entirely of them that's, themselves
0: that's the bigger problem for me Is it's not just that there's too many plots but that they're not very harmonious yeah and
1: each one of them I would argue have moments that I think do work but together it's just this loud mess of a movie and it's hard to not to deny that it's not a loud mess of a movie but I do think it's still a watchable mess. I don't think, it, you know, for, for the comic book fans who want to watch a Spider-Man movie and who want to see Venom on screen, they're going to get that. It's just not going to Bear be with. the awesome thing that they want it to be. Um, so, yeah, obviously it's the least of the Spider-Man Raimi movies. I'm not going to make that argument. And yes, there are problems. Emo Peter Parker. I can't remember who pointed this out, but it's so fucking true. Emo Peter Parker looks like Katie Lang.
0: I don't know who that is.
1: is. Well, uh, look up Katie Lang's music video for Constant Craving. <laughs> okay. And uh, people who know who Katie Lang is are laughing right now. <laughs> but uh, it's true. Uh, and again, in these decisions, like, I see how these things could work. I see how Venom you know, could be good of its own storyline. I've always loved the whole... In the comic books, he wore the black suit for a long time. It was a long, overarching story. And I love the look of the black Spider-Man and how it slowly makes Spider-Man become more like Batman. It sort of uh, appeals to his aggression. But again, it needed more time on it. I love how they handled the origin of the Sandman in this movie. When he, we first see him lifting out of the sand and becoming you know, the supervillain and realizing what's happened to him, it's a very strong moment. Yeah. yeah you know... <laughs> But again, putting all those three scenes back to back to back, isolated by themselves, good scenes together, nonsense. So that's what my review is going to be an echo chamber of. There's moments throughout this film that are really good, but it's not a good movie. Where do you land?
0: Well, before we get into the least of the Spider-Man movies, we were mentioning this over the break. Let's talk about the most of the Spider-Man movies, which we haven't in the first and second one... J. Jonah Jameson. J.K. Simmons, baby. Oh, man, this movie is his tempo. This is this is such a... I can't believe we didn't mention it before, because he's such an impactful... Like We're talking about these movies being like, cartoonish and more like uh, comic book movies. He's the most cartoonish out of all of them. He's not um, wearing a
1: costume. He's not a superhero or a supervillain, but he is an absolute cartoon, and I fucking love it.
0: Oh, he's <laughs> just so much fun to
1: watch. It's like, uh, he, he's in this sort of His Girl Friday. Yeah, see, uh, wisecracking, you know, 1930s comedy at all times in his head. You're fired. Wait, I need coffee. Get me coffee, then you're fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he's always talking about. There's, he's got another saying right behind the door. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll give him 54. <laughs> Just constantly. Uh, and yeah, he only has a very small supporting role in all three of the movies, but he's a very welcome presence. And like you said, the fact that we made it three movies in without mentioning him, criminal, shame on us. I'm glad that we've re- we have have fixed it. And yes, he is still present here, and the J. Jonah Jameson scenes as a real work. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe they're the best parts of this movie. I can't,
0: uh... I can't think of it. Yeah, um... So, I guess on my end of things, uh, I... surprised. I'm still not digging the, uh mary jane peter relationship it's still not landing for me i uh i still feel like their relationship is plot driven and not uh, interpersonal driven and that is you know really damaging this far into a story talking like the first movie to the third movie Mm -hmm. uh peter wants to propose to mary jane not because it seems to make sense for them at all but because that adds artificial stakes but not buying into the relationship at all. I don't really care. In fact, later on in the movie, when Peter is like takes uh, Gwen out on a date, I, at this point I'm like, you know what? Just date her. Uh, first of all, I think she's like more fun than Mary Jane. But second of all, I
1: I just feel like it would
0: work better for all of you.
1: Generally speaking, and again, I know we're talking about a comic book movie, and I certainly don't want to disrespect anyone who married their high school sweetheart. But it's it's uh, it's sort of weird to me that your 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 first love would be your only love in some some respects. So maybe it's, I'm not a very romantic person.
0: <laughs> I feel like Peter uh, Peter Parker is dealing with like the struggles of being Spider-Man, but he's never really grown out of the guy that would just stare at Mary Jane through his window. Yeah. And to She's that extent, so hot. right? Oh my goodness! <laughs> and I gotta say, like, I might be a little awkward too if Kristen Dunst was my uh, girl next door. But that said, I feel like if you took the Spider-Man out of Peter Parker, I don't see what would hold this relationship together at all, at all. And uh, to have like maybe a third of the movie be about how he really wants to marry her and the things are, you know, really hitting their stride in his mind. It doesn't land for me. And so when that doesn't work out, when, um, when she tries to have issues because she made it on Broadway and, but she doesn't feel very good about herself and he's not reciprocating those feelings. And then later on, even more so when, uh, Harry is, has as like devised this, uh, sinister plot to date her and instead, make her break up with Peter and then date him. Again, I was like, I don't, I don't feel like anyone's actually losing here. I feel like if Harry had taken a step
1: back and done nothing, they still would have broken up and he still could have jumped in and dated her. Yeah. The James Franco arc is probably the most tragic thing that because I do think that it fails. And they spent two <laughs> movies setting it up and it should have worked. Uh, I think the first fight that they have, where the glider is sort of glider, chasing Spider-Man through that really narrow uh, alleyway, yeah. it's weird because it's the third movie, but it has some of the worst special effects in all three of the movies. And Franco takes a fall that, frankly, should have killed
0: him. <laughs> he, like, hits his head, then hits his head again, then falls on cement.
1: Yeah. And then he instead, has,
0: it just erases his memory. Yeah, the, the,
1: strictly for the movies, and even by comic book standards, cheesy, that gives him amnesia. So I like he forgets how, that he hates Peter for a The very first
0: while. thing, he's like, my dad's still dead, right? And they're like, yeah, he's like, okay, I want you guys to know I really love my friends. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and it just doesn't work. And uh, again, him sacrificing himself uh, to the end to save Peter, I, I wanted that to land that more. It could have been such a cool moment, but... You know, and that stone face of his doesn't even change when he dies. You're not even quite sure when the moment happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being really mean to Franco. And I think that the script wasn't helping him in this movie. No. But to spend three movies to get to this point and then have his, you know such a minimal payoff. Ouch. And it was in favor of giving room to Venom. And Venom is the thing of all of it that works the least.
0: Venom feels like this movie should have been the Venom setup, and then the next movie was the for real Venom because he should
1: have got the suit in this movie. Yes, that is all.
0: A hundred percent. Um, I want to kind of jump back a little bit and talk about my other than the relationship. I guess my second least favorite part of this movie, which is actually Sandman. Oh, yeah. uh, yes, I like the mechanics of Sandman. I also thought like his actual like the exact scene where he appears for the first time, really incredibly cool. well done. Like it's a it's emotional in the right ways. It's visually impressive in the right ways, and like you can tell that it's a CGI sand guy. But it still, but it's still it still works. Like he's still like a little bit horrified, a little bit shocked at what's going on. He's like trying to grab the locket, and it's slipping through his hands, and that that all works very well. The mechanics of Sandman are cool. Him being this force for Peter to fight or uh, Spider Man to fight. That all works, but his origin is what you 're going to talk about yeah straight like, i don 't need this story to literally be like this guy 's really not a bad guy. Uh, tying it in with uncle ben 's death was that's, a huge unforgivable that 's a huge misstep. it was unnecessary, but then also having like his whole motivation be trying to save his daughter that's like that's not cheesy in a comic book way that's just corny yeah. it, it, it feels it also feels salting to me as an audience member that you, you feel like you need to keep reminding me that he's trying to do this for a good reason as if I can't parse that out on my own. Mm-hmm.
1: I I couldn't help it, and again, Sam Remy fan, it took me back to the locket in the Evil Dead movies. (laughs) When Ash, the possessed Ash, sees his girlfriend's locket, he he gets his humanity back. Uh, It's very cheesy, and I get, you know... It's even weird that his daughter would give him a locket of herself, like she was carrying a locket with a picture of herself, mm-hmm. for some reason. Yeah. He carries a locket with you. like, that girl's vain. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: she didn't have a strong father figure around, because he's yeah. too busy being in jail for killing Uncle Ben.
1: But, yeah, the fact that they retrofitted and made him the guy that killed Ben is so, so bad. So stupid and so unnecessary. I
0: think, yeah, to begin with, it's not a good idea. But then on top of that, it wasn't handled particularly
1: well. Yeah. So, yeah. But again, I think for me, I I like Thomas Hayden Church's performance. I like, you know, uh, when he sort of becomes a huge, monstrous cartoon at the end. doesn't take me out of it. I still sort of believe in him. Um, I like that he is ultra-powerful, but can be foiled by something as simple as water. (laughs) Yes! Like, like, there's lots of cool things about Sandman, and Mm -hmm. I I definitely felt that Raimi loved Sandman. Like, I I believe that.
0: I understand that, but I I feel like just the way it integrates into this movie, even though originally, from what I understand, this movie was supposed to be the Sandman movie, I feel like that's the part that should have been cut out, like, on a script level. I think
1: Sandman and, and... the Green Goblin or the son of the Green Goblin those were going to be the two villains I think that originally right. those two villains those two obstacles like that story would still nonetheless happen Harry would still sacrifice himself he just wouldn't have this distraction of Venom and I... on top of the distraction of Gwen Stacy honestly if you cut Gwen Stacy and the Topher Grace character out of this movie I don't know what it would lose
0: and see, like, I'd go the other way with it, where I would cut out Sandman and his story entirely, and I would have it be entire... Not entirely, but the main actual, like, supervillain be the son of the Green Goblin, and have Venom come in at the very end as this high-stakes thing that they need to defeat. And even then, they don't defeat him. Venom gets away wounded, maybe, and then you can have Harry be sacrificed, and then you can set up for a Venom proper movie. Right, But, um... Like, there's too much. yeah, like I just on paper, I feel like the harry Peter uh, reconciliation is more interesting than Sandman's daughter really needs an operation.
1: Yeah i I, I don't entirely disagree again, there, there's the cheesiness with which they're handling, you know his his sweet motivation to try and save his daughter. right. I, I, I get that. but for Grace. I think he's good at playing sort of charming smart ass dudes. I don't typically speaking, when he tries to bring the evil, it doesn't work for me. It's specifically the
0: evil. When he's a jerk, it it feels like it punches a little bit more. But when he's like, I'm like a legitimate threat, then you're kind of like,
1: eh, are you? He gets a little bit more success with it in that Predators movie. Sorry, squeaky chair, my bad. Uh, He has a little bit more success with that in the Predators movie. But in this movie, when he fully wolfs out and he says that he enjoys the power of being Venom and he he, 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 he embraces the symbiote, (laughs) I don't know. It just doesn't hit for me. Uh, I'm not. I'm not scared of him. I'm never scared of him, and uh, that's why Venom needed its own movie. You know, mm. I think if Spider-Man had the black suit and he still had to fight uh, Sandman and he still had to, you know, lose Harry and that would feed into the darkness. The next movie, Spider-Man could shed the skin. And then face Venom, right? Or even at
0: the end, like, like I don't know, maybe have it where, uh, in the black suit, he does something super aggressive and powerful, and that does take out Sandman, but also collaterally uh, hurts Harry. And then he's like, oh, geez, I just killed my friend, and that's what rips off the suit, instead of, oh, I really ruined my relationship with Mary Jane, which felt very natural and had yes yeah. <laughs> like, like, something like that. And then,
1: and then have it play out the same way. Like, it just falls on Topher Grace, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm about to be Venom. There's a problem of repetition, too. All of the movies kind of nudge each other. The first two movies, he rescues somebody from a fire. And there's a similar arc with Mary Jane. And there's, you know, Peter being put upon to having a moral victory at the end. All of these things happen. But by the third movie, they're being kind of used. Absolutely. Uh, They're like, they've, Mm -hmm. they've run out of their power. I think the most controversial and hated thing about the movie, and I don't entirely disagree, is when Peter Parker goes bad. Well, he's still wearing the black suit and he starts being a douche and he steals Gwen Stacy and like, <laughs> he just starts acting like this total idiot. I like what they were trying to do because the way I see it is that Peter Parker, when he's not Spider-Man, is like this clumsy, awkward mm-hmm. guy who fails at everything. So when he tries to go bad, he's a dork at being bad. Like, yeah. He sucks at being bad. and. As a conceit, I kind of understand what they were going for, mm-hmm. but in its execution, it does not win any laughter. I remember sitting in the theater, and <laughs> the entire theater, which was very full, was sitting in stunned silence <laughs> to this song and dance routine that's going on in front of us. And I'm sure that, you know, it's probably making references to some obscure musical or something that Sam Raimi loves, but it has no business being here. But I at least can say that I understand what he was going for. I think that I would be hating this movie even more if I was just like, <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I get that he was trying something, and, and in, 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 this was sort of one element where he wasn't necessarily repeating himself. It was just maybe some, an avenue best left unexplored.
0: <laughs> so it's funny that you say that, because actually when I, uh, when I rewatched this movie recently for this uh, episode... Uh, that was the part that I remembered as being super bad. And on rewatch, I actually didn't mind it as much. The thing that sold it for me is that no one else takes him seriously. Everyone, like, like everyone is cringing movie. in the movie as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he's the only one that thinks he's a super badass. Like he's like, you know, winking at ladies on the street and they're like, "What the hell?" And, yeah. <laughs> and then that to me, like, I guess um, more than the first time when I watched this, I did. I I looked and like I see what's going on here. This isn't like bad in concept. It's just a little uh on the nose in execution.
1: Yeah. And yeah. For the reputation the movie has, and I, I mean, like I said, I think that it is easily the worst of the Spider-Man movies, and like... I wouldn't
0: even say easily the worst, so much as comfortably the worst. Like, it's not, it's not as far removed from the other two as I originally remembered it being, but it's still far enough that you can clearly go, yeah, that's the, that's
1: the outlier. It's a it's a superhero movie and it's you know got its superficial fun. It's the longest of the three movies, unfortunately, but even so, it's uh, two hours and nineteen minutes or something like that. It's still shorter than a lot of the superhero movies you see nowadays, and it's fun enough and fine for the kids. I think when you compare it to some of the high quality superhero movies that we've been getting recently, yeah, it's not going to be fighting well in that field. But... Mm-hmm. When
2: Gotham is ashes. You have my permission to die.
1: It's interesting how the two trilogies that we're talking about echo each other. The first movie is an origin story that is problematic but overall strong. The second movie improves on all of the good aspects of the first movie and is soundly the strongest of the trilogy. And the third movie is a kind of hot mess. I think the reason why I have a little bit more hate for this Nolan movie than I do for the Spider-Man movie is that the Spider-Man 3 kind of knows that it's silly and kind of stupid. And I don't think that The Dark Knight Rises knows how silly it is. (laughs) So, I'm going to go ahead
0: and I I have like a one sentence complaint for this whole movie. Maybe not complaint, but like, um, observation. I feel like roughly, like most of the problems with this movie feel like they could have been solved with a second draft. I feel like, like this movie feels rushed. It feels like he like, needed to finish his trilogy yeah like, like but like legitimately it feels like there was a there should have been a moment where he gave the script to a friend or I know he writes these with his brother Jonas and like I'm sure there's more collaboration and more proofreading that I'm giving credit for but it reads like just on a script level this movie reads like something that was a good first or second draft and needed a good polishing pass to clear up some of, like, the weaker points that, like, could have been explained or could have been changed very slightly to not uh, be as, as you said, problematic mm-hmm. uh, as they were. But instead, it was like, no, we're on to shooting. Like, like almost like the Hobbit movies where they're like, yeah, we did, we did Lord of the Rings. We're all, uh, we're good to go. We know how to do this. And then it's like, oh, man, this is moving a lot faster than I anticipated. I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle this. It
1: feels rushed. Uh, and you're in a familiar world Third time round for Nolan now, so there's less new to show. You, you're just kind of sort of running with the stuff that you'd have already picked up. Mm-hmm. And you've lost Heath Ledger. I think that really hurt, you know, whatever this third movie was going to be. Specifically,
0: <laughs> right. they've said, like, this movie was supposed to open with the Joker's trial. Yeah. Uh, Whether Bane was originally included or not, I don't know, but, like, Heath Ledger was clearly, uh, like, the Joker was supposed to be part of this.
1: You're right, though. The one thing you cannot fix in post is script. And this is easily the worst script of the three of them. Easily the worst script of the three of them. I'm gonna
0: say, like I did with Spider Man, like this is clearly the worst one, but it's not so much the worst one that it's like, oh, this, at least for me, it doesn't feel like it drops down like an entire set of films. And I know your premise is that it does, but I feel like this is still, like, of the Nolan uh,
1: movies. It's just not hitting its strides the way the other two do. There's a sequence very early in the movie. And it was done largely practically, where a man is uh, taken off of an airplane. The airplane is severed in half and they're cabled out. And it is amazing. It's an amazingly handled sequence. Much like the opening sequence of The Dark Knight with the Big Bank heist, it starts things off with a bang. Unlike The Dark Knight, nothing comes close to it at any point for the rest of the movie. Five minutes into this movie, and I think we've peaked. Hmm. It's the most memorable sequence of the movie. Before I rewatched it, that was the thing that kept on sticking into into my head. The introduction of Bane. The other thing. I like Tom Hardy. Love the new Mad Max. I think he's an interesting actor. I've been a fan of his since he still had his British teeth. (laughs) So, I don't know if it was like a conscious decision that we need to find a villain who has a sillier voice than Batman. (laughs) (laughs) But Bane does not work for me and I do again it, it, it's it's just a strange choice. It's a strange choice. You already have a central hero and by this time it had become a little bit of a parody thing. Did Batman talk like this? So now you're going to have entire exchanges between Batman talking like this and man talking like this to Batman. <laughs> and uh, again that's sort of, you don't ever see Tom Hardy's face so it's just a voice coming out of this weird gas mask looking thing. But in a movie, you know, that's taking itself deadly seriously. There's a lot of smirk to that; like it takes me out of it. I don't. He's physically intimidating, but every time he talks, he stops being scary to me. I'm not a fan of the interpretation of Bane. Arguably, still a better interpretation of Bane than Joel Schumacher gave. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, and even in the in the this age of Avengers and. and You know the Zack Snyder movies that any superhero movie needs to be three hours long. I think part of a fun popcorn enterprise is that you should try and be efficient with it. Even by the third Spider-Man movie at almost two hours and twenty minutes, I think that we're we're pushing it. I think two hours is a nice round number to shoot for. I think that you can overstay your welcome. And uh, there's big twists and arcs and they tie it back to the beginning of the movie and this... Uh, they almost skip Dark Knight entirely and yeah. just go straight to Batman. Because, I mean, like, there is Dark Knight tie-in.
0: I think one of the missteps was not acknowledging the Joker at all. They clearly... I mean, Christopher Nolan said outright, like, he's honoring Heath Ledger's memory by not capitalizing on it whatsoever by having the Joker be referenced, no. acknowledged you don't not want in the it. background. Some,
1: someone was going to be recast as the Joker eventually, but not
0: not in, not not in not in Nolan's verse. And I feel like that's weird because they are talking about Harvey Dent and the events, and I feel like they should have at least... Like even just one sentence being like, but even Harvey Dent wasn't that like it was the Joker's fault, remember? Yeah. Um, that felt like like, like I could it was an elephant in the room yeah. throughout the movie for me.
1: I'll go yeah. back to the reintroduction of Ra's al Ghul and the whole. Oh yeah, yeah, show. they
0: were skipping Dark Knight and went to Batman Begins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I thought that worked really well for people rewriting uh, rewriting Sandman into Uncle Ben's story. Take note of this. This is how you. Go back to a first movie.
1: Yeah, but the twist, and I didn't even necessarily see it coming with the, you know, the girl being Liam Neeson's daughter and stabbing Batman and being instrumental in the big twist. When that moment happened, instead of me going, holy shit, I was like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, there was no impact to it. Like, I, I was not emotionally connected in the first movie. Like, there were a few things that I would have done differently, but I was emotionally in it. The second movie, I took the ride entirely. <clears throat> Excuse me, the third movie i I won't quite say it, but I came close to being bored at times.
0: It's interesting because uh, you're talking about the length and um lengthwise yes, it's a long movie. I don't know I don't know uh what could be cut from this movie i like pacing wise I think it works about as well as I can with the content. Like, I, I can't... I don't look at any scenes and go like, ah, you can remove this scene comfortably and have a still-functioning movie. Like, I don't think you could say that about Spider-Man. Like, you could definitely... I could
1: suggest a few off the top of my head. Go for it. Matthew Modine. Who? You know Matthew Modine? Great. The fact that you said who is sort of interesting. He is the one of... I can't remember the character's name. He Uh... He's sort of part of the police force. They make a point oh, of him at the first. the guy
0: who's not the commissioner yeah. who acts like the commissioner?
1: Yeah. Like, at first he's, like, keeping himself professionally distanced. Then he's, you know, just looking after his and his own. And then finally he resolves, no, I'm going to go fight on the street with my men. And then he dies. Yes. I like Matthew Modine. I think he's a fantastic actor. I have no fucking idea what his... Doing in this movie, I don't know what he adds to the movie. For
0: the first part of the movie, he very clearly adds, uh, like he he adds he's a foil to Gordon because yeah. Gordon is a hundred percent right about everything yeah. because he he's gone through two Batman movies before he understands what the deal is with the Batman villain. So he's like, yeah, we got to go deal with Bane. And Matthew Modine's like, what if we don't? Because that sounds ridiculous as all hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and he creates the tension in the first third of the movie. Um, in, I, I guess like yeah if we're going to cut out scenes I, it's not super necessary that Gordon goes to his house and says like hey you're being a coward stop being a coward and then have him be have a, have a heroic moment I it think it's like
1: can... a scene to give Gary Oldman something to do because speaking of people we haven't mentioned we've made it through almost three Spider-Man movies without mentioning J.K. Simmons we've made it through almost three Batman movies without mentioning Gary Oldman a fantastic actor. Oh, holy cow. Uh,
0: he's he, straight out of Batman Year One with his uh, with his Gordon.
1: Yeah, he's fine. He looks apart. part. I, I, you know, I don't know that you necessarily needed Gary Oldman for this part, but I'm just <laughs> as happy that he's there. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're like, whoa, you're using up your whole Gary Oldman on Commissioner Gordon? <laughs> but
1: because they have Gary Oldman, you know, they wanted to give him something to do. So he, he dies and then doesn't in this movie, right?
0: He also does that in Dark Knight. Oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, that's in Dark Knight. My put my bad. <laughs> but, yeah. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I think that there are scenes where they give Michael Caine a speech because they have Michael Caine, and there are scenes where they give uh, Gary Oldman a scene because they have fucking Gary Oldman. But I think if you took those scenes out or thinned them down, the movie would be shorter and not in any way less.
0: But even then, like uh, like thinning down, like Alfred has his scene where he's like hey, Bruce, you've been doing this Batman thing for two movies now, <laughs> and one of these days you're going to die in that suit, and I can't handle it, and I can't enable it anymore, I'm going to leave. I think that scene has to mostly stay the same. And then he leaves. And I want to say, actually, one of the, like on rewatch, maybe not initially, but on rewatch, one of the most emotionally impactful scenes out of any of these movies is at the very end of Dark Knight Rises when uh, Alfred is apologizing to the graves of uh, Martha and... Papa Wayne about, like, like he's bawling, he's stuttering. I, I failed, but, like, he's crying, and, like, I was talking about the women in Spider-Man 2 screaming in a way that people don't actually scream for real. Yeah. Like, Michael Caine is crying the way I cry when I'm upset about it. He's like, I, I promise I would like, he's choking up on his words, and he just he gets me each time, and I feel, and that's but only, like, two seconds in the movie. Here's the
1: thing. Alfred has been Bruce Wayne's true friend and confidant through his entire life. Yes. Why in the fucking world would you let him believe that you died? Let Gotham believe you died because he's going to he... bump into him in Florence, like two scenes from now or two shots from now. But presumably months or years after the explosion, why subject him to that? It's because Bruce Wayne's why a, be dick. a dick. About it? And <laughs> my know, very and, first
0: and... note in Batman Begins is that Bruce Wayne is a dick.
1: <laughs> well, and like. Batman gets his back broken by Bane. And he has to spend several months recuperating and escaping from a hole in the ground. Yes. And while this is happening... Yeah. If, unless I'm mistaken, unless I hallucinated this... You did. The entirety of the Gotham police force... Is in the sewer systems of Gotham. Yes. That is its own fucking movie. Honestly, let's see that movie. Let's see hundreds of police officers... Eating rats and, <laughs> and making like having body. unbearably
0: <laughs> candid discussions about who they would have to eat first. <laughs> yeah,
1: falling down into cannibalism. But when they finally uh, they they're like like Batman frees them and they're just madmen. And when they come out they're all like they're it's all sticks and stones. They seem <laughs> clearly to have run out of ammunition. It is a ludicrous pot plot point. Like that is fucking dumb. That is a plot point that is so dumb it would not survive in the Spider-Man movies. And we are that the police are under the ground. The police live underground in the sewers for four months while Batman heals his back and escapes from that prison.
0: I'm not being facetious. I don't see the problem with that. Really? Yeah. Like I, I think the thing for me is I would have balanced it out by not having as many police in the thing because. They all go in to get Bane, which is a little bit of a big pill to swallow. And that I was complaining about uh, Spider-Man things doing things for plot reasons and not necessarily character reasons. Yeah. That is a plot reason. Yeah. Like getting the police underground is a plot reason. Having them stuck underground and having like Bane actively take his army and try and suppress the police. Makes a lot of sense to me. Having Batman uh, rise out of the pit, I don't think worked as well as I would have
1: liked, but it didn't, like, it wasn't an actively, actively bad part of the movie. I'm saying if you lived in the sewers underground yes. for four months, you yep. would come out an emaciated skeleton how? if you were alive, Oh, that's what you're,
0: of, you're, okay, you're saying the, like, how the, the they reveal. Subsisting?
1: How do they well, live? you do
0: um, they they're getting food. They it shows them getting food. I think I want to say that like even Bane's army is providing them cuz Bane is like, "Hey, the police will survive." And then the very next clip is them getting like crates of food down in the sewers. So they're being sustained Again, by someone. why? Why? So why that would, all these people don't die. Why would Bane feed them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if, if they maybe, can leave, maybe it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Maybe they, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like if they can leave wrong. the sewer to get food. Just leave But they're, they're not school. leaving to get food. Someone's dropping it down to them.
1: Anyway, I found that to be a very tough pill to swallow. I, I'm not going to lie. I thought that was pretty stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I said, like I, I find it a little a bit minimum, convenient
0: that all of the police are down there, but I don't doubt that they could or would survive or what have you. I'm going
1: to say at a minimum four months for that back injury and for him to escape that pit. <laughs> it's not really clear on the timeline. But don't they? Isn't it four months? Do they say precisely? Well, yeah, because
0: the bomb is supposed to go off. Oh, that's actually, I want to, remind me to talk about the bomb, because that's a big point. That that was my first, like, huge complaint with the movie. But the bomb um, is going to go off in five months. Batman is in the prison before they even set up the bomb. Right. Um, And so he has, like, a couple weeks left by the time he's heading back to Gotham, because he arrives at Gotham a couple days before the bomb is about to go off. So he's in that
1: pit for at least four months, if not almost five. Yeah. I don't know. In the meantime, the entire city of Gotham is being sieged, and no one is doing anything about it. I don't know. The, I think from a script level, like... It, well, that's
0: what I'm saying, and that's what... Does that was. not fly. It doesn't, like... I, or
1: come close to it compared to the first two movies. Well, definitely
0: not compared to Dark Knight, because that movie's ridiculously good. But, uh, like I said, like, this feel... Th- there are script problems, but I feel like surface level script problems that could have been polished out not necessarily core script problems I'm trying to think of a good movie as an example of something where like I feel like if you whittle it down you can make almost any movie premise good Mm -hmm. if you do something interesting with it but some movies are uh, The Room I'll go all the way to the bottom (laughs) like the script for The Room you need to rewrite every page of that to make it a serviceable movie I I know it's like the lowest of Hanging Fruits for examples Yeah. And I don't think, like, obviously I don't think Dark Knight Rises is as bad as the movie. But I, like I also that. don't think that you need to go in and, like, like, click delete on every page in the script in order to make it work. I think you need to add something, like, instead of Gordon going and talking to the the guy who has the cute redhead wife, um which i understand staying at home if that's <laughs> if that's your deal but anyways like him talking to the lieutenant or whatever i would cut that out maybe add a scene where he goes like oh are the police in the ground still getting food and he's like yeah but we're going to run out up here he's like just don't worry like like add a little bit of explanation there add a little bit of I would set up them going underground a bit better because, like, uh, for me, it's it a little bit like, like it, 100% it, 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 of police in the sewers right now. Like, maybe seems, have Bane do something terroristic before this so it makes that a very legitimate Much threat. like
1: the Batman voice thing, it seems like such an easy fucking fix. Right, on either, a skip level,
0: but once you're shooting it... He and he have,
1: like he kills the Gotham police force or he empties the Gotham prison of its prisoners... And fills it with the police force. Like, oh, that's a
0: really good idea. Yeah, like all the police. Man, then you could have had a prison break
1: scene. That would have been awesome. Cops breaking out of the prison. Like, (laughs) anything more interesting? And and it was like they didn't spend any time on it because I think it was a pretty obviously silly plot point, right? And if it's too comic booky, Nolan is going to distract us from it because he wants us to be in the real world. And uh, of the three movies, this fails the most to be in the real world. Interesting. Who haven't we mentioned? Anne Hathaway. Who?
0: No, I'm just kidding. I actually really like this. Oh, squeaky check. I really like this uh, depiction of Catwoman.
1: Yeah, but it's interesting that we're this far in this review, and like 17 minutes in and we haven't mentioned her. Because, yeah, she's a love interest uh, for Bruce Wayne, and she's a way to give him something of a happy ending towards the end of the movie. And she's there for the very unimpressive end of Bane. She I really him. like that, actually. <laughs> well, so, like,
0: uh, Miranda Tate has her big thing where she turns out to be the bad guy. And then she's like, hey, Bane, don't kill him. Wait 12 minutes for everything to explode. And she leaves. And Bane basically, like, leans over watching her leave. Yeah. And he goes to Batman, I'm killing the fuck out of you. He grabs a shotgun... Uh, it's funny because they actually did the opposite of this in this own movie. But something I, that bothers me is when people are talking too much instead of killing yeah. the people. The they Bond can, villain thing. Yeah, yeah. The what's it? Tuco's love. Like if you're gonna shoot a guy, just shoot him. Yeah. Um, and Bane does it. Like he. I mean, like he gets in a quip of, "You'll have to imagine the fire." But I imagine that he would have pulled the trigger literally the second, the second after if uh, Catwoman hadn't shot him. And it's anticlimactic, but uh, like mechanic wise i think it is truer to the nolan verse than other stuff
1: uh the other thing is is that the whole movie hangs upon him being incredibly fiercely loyal to her and the last thing he does before he dies is not follow a direct order from her it's counterintuitive to his character and to the script as established I don't know. I I mean, it's kind of ballsy, you know. Like they're expecting a big final face-off between Batman and Bane. No, it would have been great. He's gone. He
0: actually kills him. (laughs) If he like kills him, and Catwoman rolls in, kills Bane, looks over at like Batman's just skull splattered across
1: the thing, and goes like,
0: "Shit, I guess I got to be Batman
1: now." But nobody really wants to see Batman die. But instead, he has this the same Iron Man fate for you know when Iron Man. Flies the missile away from New York and saves everyone, and almost dies doing it. And uh, so he martyrs himself. He yeah. saves Gotham, and he retires. And okay. by that point, I'm so checked out of the movie.
0: Regardless of how uh, that was, that played out, because I know there's like a little bit of messing with time. Of like, you see him clearly too far into the uh, into the traveling away with the bomb for him to have gotten away. So you have to maybe do some mental gymnastics to make that work. And I understand that. I think it is better for his character, especially looking back at all of these movies as one story, it is actually better that he doesn't die. It's better that he retires and gives up Batman because that's his whole thing, is that he's just driven and obsessed. And he kind of like in dark Knight, he was like "Ah, rachel I'll, I'll settle down with rachel and then i'll be fine but like even if that worked out even if rachel didn't die even if harvey did even if they ended up getting married i still suspect that bruce wayne as a character would have fallen back to batman he at some point to
1: crave some kind of
0: right and so i think it's a fun. it is actually a better character moment that he gives up being batman and goes and lives a normal life than that he dies as batman regardless of how it's handled. He
1: wasn't going to die at no point did I ever believe that he was going to die. No, I didn't. Like, there was just no suspense to that for me. But I think I'll just repeat what I said before. It should have been this big, climactic, important, emotional finish to the, the franchise. And at that point, I was checked out enough even in the theaters, that I was just waiting for the credits. Ah, for. see, I really
0: like the very final couple scenes. Like, I like the music is actually the thing <laughs> that drives it home for me. But like uh, Alfred sitting down, and I was, just, I'm still coming down from his emotional little cry at the graveyard, and uh, and then there's like the oh man, your name is Robin, and I didn't really like that. But he goes to the Bat Cave, and that's pretty cool. And then the the music crescendos, and Alfred sits down, and he looks over, and he kind of like he like does a little nod and then christian bale's there and he's like yep i retired character arc complete and then like the music thumps in and uh Mm -hmm. very last thing is you see joseph gordon levitt becoming uh batman and i think i think that's a very good end
1: okay well i again i think that i i was checked out enough by that point that it wasn't going to work for me by that point so it so it didn't but my alternative ending, you said, you know, Bane shoots Batman and then Bane has <laughs> <Bane's laughs> killed himself. Uh, how about the alternate ending where <clears throat> uh, where we see Alfred crying at the grave and then he fucking eats a shotgun, blows his fucking head. <laughs> and then Batman He realises, goes full, Dark Knight he, returns. Yeah, and then, then yeah, Christian Bale, you know, Bruce Wayne realizes, oh shit, I went to tell... Oh no! I don't um, think he
0: could have told, like. Now that I think about it, I don't think he could have told Alfred that. What point would he have? I, he didn't know that he was gonna like do the fake self-sacrifice until I, they attached the bomb to the bat helicopter thing. But he um, was alive
1: and living the romantic life in Italy or wherever the fuck. Oh, for a, a month, yeah, but like, hmm. I, I guess he, he could have, have told him I when know he told you're Selena. alive. Don't be. <laughs> <in jail. laughs> So there it is. Batman versus Spider Man. Uh, we've hashed out the Nolan verse. We've hashed out the Raimi verse. Um, I think that it's probably fairly obvious where I'm going to land, but uh, let's do this for the record. All right. Where do you rank these six superhero movies? And in the end, who won the battle? So, in the end, Iron Man is the best
0: of <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I... both. Stunning upset. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I. Uh... It's interesting, because rewatching the Spider-Mans, this all started, as I've said so many times throughout this show, this all started with you proposing that maybe Spider-Man 3 wasn't that bad, and that just went against everything that I remembered about <laughs> Spider-Man 3. And true to form, Spider-Man 3 wasn't as bad as I thought, but the other two movies were worse than I remembered. I just, like, I don't think any of them really kind of stand up to modern movie making, and I think it is to their detriment that Raimi leans a little bit more towards being comic book movies than movies with comic book... Uh, inspirations. I found them like all to be a very similar shade of... mediocre even. Even the second one, I, I like Doc Ock as a villain, but I think him... Uh, like, jokingly, J. Jonah Jameson is the best part of those movies, but like realistically, I think the most well-done part is Dr. Octopus, and I don't think he's as good as even the stuff in Dark Knight Rises. I think all of these movies are just... Uh, I would actually... I joked about Iron Man. I would compare the Iron Man movies as being a little bit more uh, well-done versions. Maybe more modern, if you want to go that way, but definitely more. They're more character-driven. They're more relatable. I feel like they're just more narratively... Competent than there any of the There was also ten years movies. of
1: superhero movies between Spider Man and Iron Man. So, but they there wasn't because
0: Spider Man three, uh, Spider Man three, Dark Knight, and uh, Iron, Man. Iron Man all came out within like one year of each other, and it's very clear to me which one of those movies you worked out in history. But even then, like Iron Man is a better uh, movie than Spider-Man 3, clearly. But, like, the X-Men 2, that also came out around the time when Spider-Man 2 and stuff was. Like, mm-hmm. comic book movies were being done, I would say, properly by the time these Spider-Man movies came I out. I don't
1: disagree, but in the same way I'd say we needed X-2 to sort of, as a stepping stone to get us to Batman Begins, we kind of right. needed Spider-Man as a stepping stone to get us to Iron Man.
0: That and that, that makes sense. And even so, looking back at these, like, if I'm going to sit down and go, which one of these movies do I want to watch? The Spider-Man movies are at the bottom of the list. So, starting from my lowest one. In I had, sixth place. In sixth place. I had a real difficult time actually balancing um, Spider-Man 1 being worse than I remembered and Spider-Man 3 being better than I remembered. I think Spider-Man 3 still takes the cake as, like, the comfortably the, the one that works the least out of all of them. So, Spider-Man 3 is my worst movie. All right. Followed by Spider-Man 1. Okay. Spider-Man 1 is... Like It's just not as solid as I remember the character... Like I said, I don't care about Mary Jane and Peter Parker. The Green Goblin just isn't as threatening as I would like him to be. It has old movie-type problems that like modern movie-making is kind of... uh, At least for comic book movies, has found its stride a little bit better than uh, this one plays out for pacing stuff, for uh, emotional impact-type stuff. So Spider-Man 1 is my fifth movie then it's Spider-Man 2. I don't think Spider-Man 2 is better than Dark Knight Rises. I think Dark Knight Rises which is number 4 or yeah, number f- whatever, it's the one the number 3, number 3, spoilers. I these are the two that I have to compare and I still think even with all its flaws, even with its inconsistencies, even with its downfall from the masterpiece that was Dark Knight, Sp- Dark Knight Rises is a more narratively and emotionally cohesive movie. Than Spider-Man 2. I understand what you're saying with it being inconsistent and distracting, but like even with that in mind, I just care more what's going on at any given moment. Maybe that's why I find it's better, because for the same reason that you don't like it, it's because I'm caring what's going on, and then something happens and you're like, oh, well, like that's just ridiculous for how much I care, but at least I care. Mm-hmm. For Spider-Man 2, I didn't care about anything except Doctor Octopus and... Uh, J Jonah Jameson. I think it's just it's just a, a lower caliber movie than Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises is number three, um, and then Batman Begins. Uh, it, it, Batman Begins is a really solid movie, not flawless. I don't know of any movie that I would say is outright flawless, but it's it's impressive. It holds up impressively well, and I think that. It does a very good job of establishing um, a different kind of things that comic book movies could be. I feel like now DC is going the like take learning the wrong lessons from it. Maybe where they're like, "Gotcha, dark and gritty." That's how that's how we'll do our thing. And I don't necessarily know that's what you want to take away from it. Mm-hmm. And I do hear what you're saying about uh, the movie maybe being slightly, totally inconsistent, um, but. I still think I still think it hits really heavily and it's just a really great movie in its own right. Dark Knight <laughs> is my favorite movie of all time, oh, actually. Wow. Um, one, I don't hey. think it's the best movie, but What's it's your personal. Favorite? It's my like it just speaks to me on so many levels. Right. I also don't think it's flawless, but it's just so damn good. <laughs> and I actually think it is legitimately one of the best movies of all time. Wow. Um, like, I know that I know there are better movies.
1: I just argue there aren't many better movies. <laughs> well, that's okay. I'm, I'm in favor of hyperbole. It's funny. <laughs> I'm surprised. I mean, I didn't think we were going to match at all. But I, we, we, we disagree quite a lot. And uh, I think that we just might prefer the different approach. I think you just might like the realistic approach. And I like sort of the goofier, fun approach. I, generally speaking, in film and television lately, and maybe this is just me becoming an old man. I'm, not, I'm missing the fun. I'm missing relatable, likable characters and, and, and watching a movie that puts a smile on my face instead See, of crushes me spiritually. Eyeball, Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. There you go. <laughs> See, we, and I, I like those shows, but I mean, I don't know, especially in the superhero genre. Let's right. have some fun. Uh, yeah. In sixth place, I put The Dark Knight Rises. Whoa! I really do. Uh, it's because it takes itself so seriously and it's so silly like the disjunction doesn't work like we I can't square that center like I can't I can't make that work for me and uh it is such a drop down from the other two and uh that I would argue that I think it is tonally and in quality a bigger drop than Spider-Man 3 was from Spider-Man 2 I feel like the Spider-Man movies have the opposite problem
0: first of all I want to say really quickly just for you know uh, letting it be known. Um, I also didn't have a problem with Bane's voice in the same way I didn't have a problem with Batman's voice. So I feel like I have two handicaps in that area where I'm just like, I'm just not distracted by this. I feel like the Spider-Man movies specifically though, Um, I wanted to mention this earlier and just didn't remember, they suffer from their serious moments not landing in the same way that like, the, because a lot of it's so like, so so silly and so comic book like when they try and do touching moments
1: like the green goblin dies, I just I don't I don't does isn't actually touching me well, for me it's like when Toby McGuire has a tearful moment confessing to Aunt May about how it was his fault that his uncle died. Yeah. It becomes such a big moment that it, it almost becomes too serious for the silly movie. Right. So but that's just the flip side of the coin. That's right? mm-hmm. just sort of talking about the approach. In fifth place, I do put Spider-Man 3, because it is, it is a mess. I'm not going to deny that it's a mess, but it's of the same goofy universe that the first two movies A hundred
0: percent. I think people remember Spider-Man 3 as being like the Godfather Part 3, where yeah. it's just better to ignore it happening, and I don't think that's the case. If you're going to have a Spider-Man marathon, maybe, maybe watch the two amazing Spider-Man movies, yeah.
1: but if you're going to watch the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans, watch all of them. They're all together. Uh, much like The Dark Knight Rises 2, it's haunted by the better movie it could and should have been but mm-hmm. honestly at this point even just for the running time I would <laughs> rather watch Spider-Man 3 again than <laughs> The Dark Knight Rises uh, in fourth place Spider-Man the first uh, it's a fairly decent origin story I don't think we can downplay the impact that it had both in the box office and culturally when it came out If the original Spider-Man trilogy seems to be largely dismissed for all these nouveau uh, movies but uh, I, I think it was important to establish that yes Summers can be built around superheroes. Yeah. There was a time where studios didn't believe that. It's uh, hard to believe now. When I was a kid growing up in the 80s, if someone would have told me there were going to be all these X-Men movies, <laughs> and like, <laughs> I would have died of joy. Right? You know? it's just like, it just took 20 years longer for me than it did for you. You're growing up in the golden age. <laughs> yeah. In third position, and it was a little bit of humming high, but in third position, Spider-Man 2. Whoa, hey. Uh, yeah, um... It's a fun movie, and it is the most, I think, perfectly balanced of the three Raimi movies. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's a better movie than Batman Begins. Again, Batman Begins is the second, and not to spoil anything, The Dark Knight is number one. But that one-two punch of Nolan is actually, in a way, part of what makes the third one fail. Those first two movies are so good. That the third one just being okay makes it seem, by contrast, fucking terrible. (laughs) And maybe that's the baggage I bring to it. And like I said, I do bring my own baggage to it. Generally speaking, I don't. As a filmmaker, as a filmmaker, I tend to prefer Sam Raimi, generally, like over body of work than I do Christopher Nolan. And I know right there that puts me in the minority. (laughs) Um, So I bring in that baggage, Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that Nolan is sort of done with the. batman universe and i find things like inception and interstellar you know for their ups and downs much uh, those are those are the types of movies i think he should be making right <laughs> you know uh, not that i would say no to him returning to a superhero universe but I... uh I, I appreciate that he's an ambitious filmmaker and I, I think that he maybe is better served doing his own movies as opposed to the properties of say comic book I actually kind of want
0: him to do a Star Wars movie next. Like an anthology movie for sure, but like, I, feel like, I feel like putting any franchise just through the Nolan filter
1: comes out with interesting, if not great results. Well, I'd watch, a, I'd watch a, a Nolan Star Wars movie, but I'd pretty much watch any Star Wars movie. I would also watch a Sam Raimi Star Wars movie. <laughs> I would watch the shit out of that <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and doing no this episode of Hacking Review. Um, Batman wins the fight. in in, in my main but it's a good fight (laughs) yeah I think you're on the same page according to your rank obviously well yeah
0: this this was basically like I didn't rank six movies
1: I ranked two (laughs) the (laughs) Spider-Man movies come in second and the Batman movies come in first and you know more or less I agree I just my level of disappointment I think that might be it too my level of disappointment in the third Batman movie was so much greater than my level of disappointment in the third Spider-Man movie
0: I understand, like, I, I will hear an argument for Dark Knight Rises being disappointing. And again, like, I'm, I'm actually very much in the same boat in that regard, because I feel like a lot of the problems were surface level script problems that, like, it feels almost lazy to not catch them. And that let whether that leads to lower quality or not overall is beside the point, because it definitely leads to disappointment.
1: I shouldn't have to tell someone who's named Christopher Nolan that if you're going to spend millions of dollars on the production and millions of dollars on the cast and millions of dollars on the advertising, spend a little extra time on the script.
0: Pay, pay yourself. Like take a script vacation. Just like and I don't actually know what happened in the production, but it seems like he he, they had a well-oiled machine going for the first two, and then they kind of phoned it in in some parts for the third one.
1: was a hard-fought battle, but uh, I think worthwhile. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that very special edition of Rankin Review. Special thanks to Eric for joining me for that episode. Uh, we're going to get back to more traditional Rank and Review type of movies next episode, so uh, I hope you join me for that. In the meantime, send your feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Thank you so much, you guys, and we'll talk to you soon.